Crystal, I am uh, incredibly excited for what we have going on today. We yes. have Thomas Frank, who was a very influential author for me. Um, what I, you know, one of the first political books I read was What's the Matter with Kansas? And I re think it really helped shape my ideology. I know, I don't know if it was What's the Matter with Kansas or Listen Liberal for you, but it, it was a big book for you, right? Oh, yeah. Um, all What's the Matter with Kansas and Listen Liberal and his new book, The People Know, have all been extraordinarily influential for me. And What's the Matter with Kansas was one of the first political books I read, too. Oh, really? Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's yep. interesting. That's the same for both of us. But I haven't read The People Know yet. I plan on reading his new book as well because he's one of the few writers who, like, He's fantastic, and I swear by I haven't read anything from him that I've disliked yet, so I'm really excited to talk to him. This is a big deal for me. Um, but before we get into what's happening this week, and there's a lot of stuff happening this week, I just want to tell everybody that this is the last week for the free video version of Crystal Kyle and Friends. So everybody's been seeing that on the Secular Talk YouTube channel. If you want to keep getting the video version of Crystal Kyle and Friends, you go to Substack. I'll have the link in the video description box. And it's $5 a month. And then you get the video and you get it a day early. So you get it Friday night. And then the audio will always be available to everybody. And it's going to come out a day later. So the audio will come out on Saturday night. But this is the last week for the free video version of Crystal Kyle and Friends. So if you want to keep getting the video, you tip us five bucks on Substack per month. Again, link in the video description box if you want to check that out. Um, but again, if you want to listen audio only, then that comes out on virtually every single podcast platform that there is, and it'll come out Saturday night. So I just need to give everybody that heads up. Next week we have, can I say this yet? Uh, sure. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna yeah. say it. I'm gonna yeah. say it, Crystal. <laughs> There's no backing out now. Um, next week we have the amazing, brilliant Nina Turner, and now it's Nina Turner running for Congress, which is incredibly exciting. I'm really, really excited about her campaign. It, actually, if she, if she can win for Congress, and I think she has a really good shot. I mean, she's running in a Democratic primary. She's raising good money. She's got obviously an incredible profile nationally, which we know about, but she also has a really incredible profile locally based on being in state politics for a lot of years and, and the work that she's done in the community there. So I think she has a good shot. And, you know, just having her in Congress as uh, a new leader in, you know, the progressive movement there, it could actually genuinely be a monumental shift that has direct ramifications in terms of what's able to be accomplished through the House this year. So very no, exciting. I and I, I just love her as a person. I love her too, but yeah. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I think it's a game changer if she gets in there because I think the quality that she has that is lacking in D.C. now, even though there are some politicians I respect and I like there, is leadership. I don't see the leadership that I want. I don't see somebody who's willing to take the hatred, willing to take the fire, willing to have Pelosi hate her, willing mm -hmm. to have the media hate her. You know, she's already been through it with the Bernie campaign. Yeah. They hated her for being associated with the Bernie campaign. So mm -hmm. she's like, okay, I've been through this before. Go ahead, hit me with everything you got. I don't care. Whereas other politicians, I won't mention any names, but they care what the media thinks of them. Right. And that, that categorically changes it. But anyway. She's fierce. She is. That's she, the word. She's incredible in every way. Um, Trump's impeached. Yes. <laughs> A, second, <laughs> A time. second time. Massive, as I said on Twitter, massive cuck energy to be impeached twice and to lose the popular vote twice. That's a first in U.S. history. Yeah. I think even just losing the popular vote twice is a first, I think, right? Am I wrong about that? I, I have to have a brain that's better, that's yeah. working better than mine is mine right now. To, too, to go, to let's go just go with that. that. We'll go with it. I mean, yeah, and especially, like, on the one hand, 
you looked at the Biden campaign and you were like, you could barely beat this guy like who destroyed the country, did nothing about covid, was an utter disaster on every level. You barely beat this guy. On the other hand, you look at Trump and you're like, wait, you couldn't beat Joe Biden, even like as an incumbent president who, you know, generally always get reelected. You couldn't get past Joe Biden. So it's kind of like embarrassing all the way around. And it's sort of like that with impeachment this week. There's two ways to look at it. On the one hand, you had 10 Republicans defect and vote for his impeachment, including Liz Cheney, who got all kinds of media praise for being so brave. Um, So on the one hand, you're like, only 10? Like, the guy helped incite an insurrection on the Capitol. You people were all, like, had your lives endangered by this man, and only 10 of you are willing to vote for impeachment. On the other hand, you look at it, this was actually the most bipartisan impeachment in history because Nixon resigned before before he was impeached. So, you know, there would have been more Republicans there, but this was, it's, it's very unusual to have your own party vote for your impeachment. So in that way, it actually is a historic rebuke. So let me ask you this. How many do you think the Republicans are going to get in the Senate? No idea. No idea? I really think, so look, this this goes to... And just to lay the groundwork, which people already know, you've had a few people come out and basically say that they're on board. They're the the normal characters. Toomey looks like he'll go there. Murkowski, Collins, Romney. Romney. You've got a a batch that are probably going to vote to convict in the Senate. McConnell has been really quiet and has really left it open. There are a bunch of media reports this week that he was more than 50 percent leaning in favor of conviction. And look, McConnell is not some moral actor. Right. We should not expect that he's like taking a stand of righteousness here. He's making a very explicit calculation. His power is derived from the power of the Republican Party. Republican Party prospers. He prospers. So right now he's calculating. Am I better off ripping off the Band-Aid of Trumpism now actually banning him so he can't run for office again so he doesn't like rule the party for the next four years and we sort of start over and figure out how to move forward and do basically what the elites in the Republican Party want or am I going to continue to kind of try to ride out this tiger try to muddle through try to rescue the scraps of the elites who are willing to go along with insanity even as they're running the opposite direction as fast as they can what's my best move on the chessboard here the reality is I think no matter what he picks and and my assumption here is that if McConnell votes to convict he's going to have a decent number of Republicans to go along with him and it is entirely possible if not likely that Trump is actually convicted in the Senate Um, but I think no matter what he picks he's the Republican Party is screwed they're you know they they no longer can keep together their coalition of the elites who supported enabled this party because they were happy to get their tax cuts and their deregulation and all of this and the base that's been fed on like culture war grievance they can no longer keep these two pieces together so i think they're screwed either way okay so i agree with you on that point i think they're screwed either way without a doubt um i i just cannot fathom they get 16 in the senate i don't think they have 16 i would be i would be floored if they got 16 republican senators mm-hmm. on board for impeachment now having said that to your point about how they're screwed either way Oh, no question. Listen, <laughs> here's what happened. Trump lost his aura of invincibility. If anything, now the conventional wisdom is the exact opposite, that he's toxic. He's a loser. And you want to distance yourself from him as much as possible. Yeah. But the more important point is what's happening with corporate America, where every corporation is like, Republicans? 
I hate Republicans. I don't right. know what you guys talk about. Republicans. <laughs> I never donate to any Republicans. I don't even know what you guys mean by that. And so they just cut off all the money overnight. Like every big corporation was just like, we're hardcore Democratic, not giving any more money to any of the Republicans. And like, that is what McConnell cares about. That is what's everything to Mitch McConnell. Mm-hmm. His whole existence, his whole career has been, I'm the money guy for the GOP. In the same way that Nancy Pelosi is like, the money woman for the Democrats, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's his whole thing is we represent corporate America. And yes, now they're in a no-win situation because if you get the corporate money back, well, that means you do have to throw Trump under the bus in some way, oh, right? Yeah. But to throw Trump under the bus in any way means there's 30% of the base, the, the 30% chunk of the country, which makes up the hardcore Trump base, that are going to hate McConnell and hate the Republicans. Yeah. So there is no winning, no matter what he screwed, which is why I think Republican civil war is inevitable. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I mean, you look at Trump's approval approval ratings since he incited an insurrection on the Capitol, and they have fallen significantly. 29% now. But that's even within the Republican Party, I mean, the poll that I was looking at, he still has like 75% approval. And you look routinely, you ask Republicans, are they more loyal to the Republican Party or to Donald Trump. And overwhelmingly, they say Donald Trump. So that's the bind that they find themselves in. On the other hand, and look, by the by the way, I agree with you in your skepticism that they can ultimately get to the 17 votes that they would ultimately need. But if you were going to make a case for it, you'd say, OK, you've got a few people who are actually moral actors who really are thinking it through and trying to come to a place of doing the right thing. I put say Mitt Romney is, is one of those types of people, and he has some political freedom to be able to do that. Then you think about people who are retiring who are just like fuck this i'm done i'm just gonna say what i want and by the way i need to secure my position in potential corporate america for my like afterlife once i'm done being a politician so you have those types of people you have people who are in swing states where they may feel some pressure electorally not just from the ones that you're hosed with are the ones that only feel the pressure from the right wing and are worried about their primary but you do have some people who are up in states where it's not a given that republicans are going to win. And so letting Trump get by with this may ultimately be a political liability for them. So those are kind of the baskets of people that I think you have to to think about and work with. And you also have people who, you know, McConnell has a lot of tools at his disposal, a lot of things he can promise if he actually wanted to get this done. He's got a lot of things he can promise. He's got a lot of loyalty within the caucus. So those are kind of the the pieces to work with. But you look, I think right likely, like you said, like we're both saying here, no matter what they do, they're kind of totally hosed. I think they were on track to probably have very good midterm election, potentially take back the House, probably take back the Senate. I think those dreams are totally dashed. And it's not only because of Trump. It's also because Biden has a, a tremendous opportunity here to just be like better than Trump. The bar has been set so low if he just effectively distributes a vaccine and actually gets people checks in their accounts, I think people are going to be like, oh, my God, this guy's amazing. This right. is incredible. But and, oh, and by the way, there aren't, like, armed guards blocking down the Capitol right now. This is an incredible dramatic departure. Yeah, although they're already semi-backpedaling on the $2,000 checks. Yeah, well, let's, as, talk, let's talk about that. Right. So, you know, they were saying 2000 2000 2000 Now they switched that to a total of 2000 So you already got 600 So we what we meant was, what happened was, so we, 1400 more or whatever. <laughs> so but, perfect. no, I mean, <laughs> Biden was campaigning in Georgia. This was after they already got the $600 through, and he was saying, we're going to do $2,000 checks. That would be a total of $2,600. 
But now they backed off of that because they're Democrats. Somebody made a good point on Twitter. They were like, we went like 10 days without people on Twitter being mad at the Democrats. And so they were like, well, we got to We got to do something. <laughs> we got to do, do something here. And so they reduced it. Well, it's, it's just such a perfect own goal. Like, it's so simple. You actually stumbled into what was a powerful political message that actually it was good for you politically. It was something that was super popular. It's something that would actually have tremendous benefit to people. And you've got to suddenly negotiate with yourself and muddle the message and make it this super, like, it's just perfectly sort of democratic, technocratic answer. Well, if you add together the yeah. 600 with the 1,400, then really what you end up with is the 2,000 that we promised. It's like, people want 2,000. Why are you parsing this? Why are you negotiating? I, with I don't think Why they want are to do you it. doing this? Because they don't want to do it. I, I don't think any of them want to. I don't think the Republicans want to do it. I don't think the Democrats want to do it. There's an argument that, oh, this is sort of a matter of necessity. And yes, maybe the corporate overlords are like, people actually do need cash right now in order to keep this economy functioning. Yeah. But yeah, I just feel like the Republicans and the Democrats effectively don't want to do it because that's something that actually helps regular people. And when are they ever in favor of stuff that helps regular yeah, people? Yeah. So they <laughs> always have to like, how can we knock this down a yes, little bit? Exactly. Like, how can we not quite yeah. make good on the promise? And look, this is why people don't trust politicians. It's like, you told me $2,000. It was as straightforward as it could possibly be. And now you're quibbling and like making a point of making it less than what was pledged. It's crazy. And then the other piece of this that I think is is really um, insane is if, if your goal is to actually get something done is, you know, Bi Biden has this bipartisanship fetish. It's like the one oh, thing that off, he's yeah. just completely obsessed with that he talks about all the time, just like reflexively, even after eight years yeah. of watching Republicans obstruct, 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 stand in their way of doing absolutely anything in the Obama administration. So rather than saying, look, here's our plan and we can do it through budget reconciliation, which yes. Only requires Democrats. We're going. And if you want to come on board, great, get on board. No, they want to go out and try to get the nine Republicans on board to actually pass it through regular order. It is never going to happen. So why like, why well, are we playing these fantasy okay. games? See, now I'm going to be the bad guy, but I have to say it. My conspiracy is, I'm not saying I fully believe this, but there's a chance this is real. They don't even really want this package to get through. It's the virtue signal package of like, look at all these great things we put in this package. We're in favor of these great things. Oh, we couldn't get to 60? Well, I knew that for sure that that was going to happen, but I proposed it anyway. But you're still going to give me credit because I proposed it right. That's what I think is going on because you're right. They could do budget reconciliation, $2,000 checks, done, you're the heroes of the world, but they didn't do it. They chose not to do it. They went with the virtue signal package, trying to get bipartisan support, which is not going to happen. So it's a waste of time. And it's classic, you're right, it's classic Democrats. It's like, how could we take a sure winner? And massively fucking right, up. and like confuse the issue, make it a million times more complicated. Because here's the other path: let's say you were your bipartisan Biden, you want to show the country coming together. You might have nine Republicans to support two thousand dollar checks. You at least have some Republicans to support just the two thousand dollar checks. Uh, Marco Rubio is already on the record saying, "Hey, I want Biden to do two thousand dollar checks right away." Presumably, Josh Hawley, who's been uh, you know pushing yeah, for direct you don't cash have aid. Nine. Yeah. You might. I mean, but. No. You have a better shot at not if you're yes, just I take your point. doing. And here's the other thing. So I think 
I think you're right. Like they, this is not a serious attempt to get a bill passed. Yes. They like the virtue signaling. Yes. They get to be the good guys. The Republicans get to be the bad guys. They're the ones standing in the way. But you would probably still have that messaging, and it would be a lot clearer if you were just trying to do the two thousand dollars check in <laughs> yes. this bipartisan way. Because then you can just clearly make like right. the Republicans are standing in the way. They are blocking these two thousand dollars checks, and then you go and do it through budget reconciliation anyway. So the Republicans are clearly yes. the bad guys. But when you put all this crap together, yes. and I, I don't want to call it crap because there's, there's, there's actually a lot stuff, of yeah. really good stuff in here. The but the messaging gets muddled. But it gets messy, yeah. and then they can surely pick out something that they hate and make it about that. And then you don't have even a clear hit, which seems to be their whole goal is to have like a messaging win. I, I couldn't agree with you more that, yes, if you're going to go the route of like, let's get the 60 and avoid the filibuster and, you know, try to overcome a filibuster. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you just do the 2000 that way? Why do you have to overcomplicate this? But anyway, this is all very relevant, very pertinent to uh, the amazing guest that we're going to talk to. So um, Thomas Frank, I mean, he really is. You and I are like two of very few people in the country who are cool with like labeling ourselves populists. Yeah. And this is a guy who's basically an expert on populism. Yeah, and I think for for me certainly that choice of the word populist is very intentional mm. and something that I adopted as both like cuz cuz the term has been really corrupted in the Trump era in particular where he is supposedly this representation of populism which is obviously yeah, complete it's not true at all. and utter yeah. bullshit and Thomas Frank is the expert in what is the real history of populism yes. which was born here in America and has really um, important roots left wing roots this coalition of white and black working class people and farmers joining together in their shared mutual interests so we want to talk to him about that about everything that's been going on here at the Capitol, how that's going to be used by the forces of anti-populism, what's going to happen with the Republican Party, all things that he can certainly address. Right. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into it. Here's Thomas Frank. Thomas Frank, welcome. So good to see you. Um, I have to say your book's probably the most influential in my political thinking and development. So all of the things that I'm wrong about, it's your fault. <laughs> well, I was going to say thank you. That's very kind of you. But, uh, I don't know, with that, with that, that caveat, I don't know about that. I mean, Crystal and I are actually, this is what I was just about to tell you. Um, Crystal and I are probably two of like six people total in the country who actually gladly use the label populist to describe ourselves you know like i feel like i'm just gonna jump right into it and ask him a question because this is on the top of my mind how do you how do you respond to now the word populist is used in like a smear way where they try to equate like bernie and trump and say yeah. they're both populists it's very useful in that sense isn't right. yeah populism but like what do you make of it being fascism. a smear now whereas previously you know obviously you know the history of populism better than anybody like when previously it wasn't a smear at all now it's viewed in, with a negative connotation in, in elite circles what do you make of that uh, it, it's it's come and gone for a long time, but th there's a, I want to just throw an interesting, an amusing fact out there. Barack Obama referred to himself as a populist. Really? Yeah. In about I didn't uh, know that. In uh, it was towards the end of his presidency. It might even have been in 2016. And then a few he he was at a press conference in Canada that he did this, and he said, you know, a lot of the things that he also referred to Bernie as a populist. He said you should stop using the word populist to describe Trump. Trump is not a populist. Use it for Bernie. Uh, Bernie is a populist. A lot of the things that I did were populist, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. A few months later, he was using it the same as everybody else does. Populism hmm. means you know mob rule, means he's yeah. you know crazy, paranoid, you know Trump supporters, that kind of thing. So even even he gave up on it. 
uh, right away. The last president to use that word to describe himself before Obama was Jimmy Carter. Hmm. Really? Yeah, I and didn't Carter know that was uh, Carter used it in a positive way. Carter, okay. uh, but but it was he meant it as in this really vague like up with people kind of thing. Like right, I like yeah. people in, like <laughs> a, in an Oprah Oprah Winfrey <laughs> yeah. kind of way, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But this and, is also, I mean, one of the things that you track in your new book is that this is an intentional strategy to smear the idea that ordinary people should have any say in our government yes. and to make the, yes. the idea of populism a sort of evil and unqualified, unmitigated bad thing is actually an intentional strategy. Yes. Or it, 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 with a lot of these people, you know, I don't want to go, uh, I don't want to sound like it's a conspiracy. These are intellectuals and this word is floating around in the ether uh, in intellectual life. Like these are political scientists, uh, politicians, that kind of thing. And they, they, they hear the word and they start using it in that way and everybody else is using it in that way so why not because it gets the job done but it's not like they've actually thought it through that's my job mm. and I, I wanted to trace how the word became how the word went from being this sort of wonderful thing you know, mm. this great movement uh, to being this dreadful, awful thing that we deplore and fear and hate. And uh, the, the first thing you discover is that a lot of people hated populism at the time. I mean, the people who invented the word uppercase P, populism. And despite what uh, what people will tell you, it is an American word. It was made up by by people from Kansas, by people from mm. my home state. Mm. Uh, the word was made up uh, one day in 1891 in order to describe a brand new political party, the last great third party movement. And this was, if you're a, a liberal or a left winger today, you would look ordinarily, you'd look back at this at this movement, at populism, and you'd say, wow, those were, those are some people who were really ahead of their time. They were calling for uh, all kinds of government regulation of the economy. They were calling for an income tax. They were calling for votes for women. And they were one of the very first, if not, I think, the first ever to say that uh, the black and white working classes should get together because mm. their interests are the same. Yeah. <laughs> Rather, you know, you know, overcome what divides them and, and get together on these. And this is real. They were way ahead of their time. So would you say that the label is, is maybe somewhat interchangeable with like social democrat what's okay, the closest so this is, tradition to populism basically from today's vantage point sure why not so look people at the time argued about this and historians in like the 1930s argued about the and they they would split hairs about mm -hmm. different left-wing factions and tendencies but look nowadays <laughs> You know, we live in a world where there basically is no left, so right. fine yeah. with me, yeah. yeah. And there's also, you know, populism did call for some socialist things. They wanted to nationalize the railroads, nationalize the telegraph, the uh, telephones, that kind of thing. Were they and for democratic control of companies or no? Uh, they, <laughs> or is they that bridge too far? Uh, uh, that I don't know okay. about. They were extremely hostile to monopolies. Mm. Mm. Okay. So, but right. they wanted government to break up monopolies in various ways, and. Um, but I don't know about anything further than that. Now, the uh, socialists at the time and socialists in the 1930s would say, yes, but they were a movement of predominantly of farmers. Uh, farmers, especially in a place like Kansas, uh, are, are landowners. They usually or they often own the land that they were farming on. So therefore, they're not a real socialist movement. But look, they come up at the same time as the Labor Party in England. They identify with the Labor mm. Party in England. They identify with the Labor Party in Australia, social democrats in Germany. It's basically all... Uh, part of the same global movement. What's funny is that 
we're the only one of those countries that doesn't have a real left that party. Because you know, this right. was it, and they died. So, they got yeah, killed. so what happened to the movement? Was it just, like, absorbed into the broader Democratic Party, and then the Democratic Party took the neoliberal turn with Bill Clinton? Is that what happened, more or less? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a long story, but yes. Basically, the Democratic Party absorbed them in 1896 with a very watered-down version of their of, of what the populists were demanding. It's very democratic. Of them. <laughs> yeah, That's exactly right. what they do. They're still, they're still <laughs> playing that game. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and, but it worked, and the populists, uh, they, they got on board with the Democratic train. And this is William Jennings Bryan was the Democratic candidate. He lost to their great surprise because everybody thought you know he's this man of destiny this incredible orator you know and and he lost and then they start the populace go to fighting with one another Lot, lots of sectarian infighting. The left infighting? Yeah. I've never heard of this. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's the end of them. And so they, they basically go back to the parties that they originally came from. Some of them go over to the very brand new American Socialist Party, like Eugene Debs, who's right. a populist. Yeah. He, he signs up with that. Um, and that's, that's, by the way, that's the reason that if you ever study the history of the socialist movement in America, don't know why you do that, but I mean, it's kind of interesting. They were very strong in Oklahoma. Hmm. It was their best state. Really? <laughs> yeah. So interesting. It's because it of is. populism, because they inherited the populist message. And so what, ha in terms of, I mean, this was one of the few times in American history where you really had a black and white multiracial working class coming together and having some success. Well, trying in, to come together. Trying to it, come it, together. It didn't work out so really. So, so what happened there? Because I think that also has a lot of relevance to today and we can talk about that. Oh yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, in, on the one hand, a hopeful story, and on the other, a disastrous story. Hopeful because it was the first time and one of the only times that a political party has, I mean, look, we do this routinely nowadays. The Democrats routinely go to, uh, you know, are able to bring together black workers and white workers. Well, I, I, I shouldn't take too much for granted. They try to. The populists were the first to do this, and in, in the 1890s, this was extremely shocking. And by the way, they were upfront about this. They were they were right out in the open about it. They said, you know, the the interests of black farmers and white farmers are identical. Uh, they should be voting for the same candidates, and they, they should get reforms that help them both out. And they did act on it in some places, uh, and they triggered an extraordinary backlash, just unbelievable. You know, the South at the time was dominated by one party. It was the Democrats. Back then, they were openly racist. Yeah, the Dixiecrats, sure. Well, they were called, they called them the Bourbon Democrats at the time. Dixiecrats is a later, mm. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Right. No, no, <laughs> I got you. By the way, just an aside here, the other day I was reading, oh, I forget what, what mainstream publication, but, but the article started off, the ancient Greeks detested populism. They're talking about the riot in the capital. Like, the ancient, now we know why the ancient oh, Greeks hated yeah. populism. Oh. No, the ancient Greeks actually did not have that word. It didn't yeah. come did not exist until Everything I don't like is populism, I saw, I said the elite in, publication. Uh, I, I think it was the New York Times, but it might have been the Washington Post that called Emperor Caligula a populist. <laughs> I know. <What? laughs> it's like Every terrible world leader I've seen described as a populist. Duterte is one they love to call a populist. Yep. Anybody who's like yep. loud... Yep. <laughs> There's like, oh, it's populism. Yeah. yeah. Anyhow, so they, they they go to the South with this appeal. They say, uh, uh, you know, black farmers and white farmers should get together. There was a whole uh, black, there was a whole part of the movement that historians call the black populists who were on board with this party, et cetera. And this triggered this incredible beatdown from the 
master the ruling class of the South, the, planter the bourbon class. Democrats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they own the place, and they're they are propped up by this doctrine of what, what they used to call white solidarity. The idea being that what your interest as a white person is paramount to anything else, and white people have to stick together and have to vote for the white party, being the that being the Democrats, of course, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they came down on populism like a ton of bricks. First, they cheated them. You know, vote fraud was very common in those days. I don't yeah. know about today, but back then yeah. it was it was it was a, a really ordinary maneuver. First, they did that, and then they just crushed them with this with this this incredible racist campaign. And there's one southern state where the populists did manage to win. It was North Carolina. They got hmm. together with the local Republican Party, which was the traditional uh, party of African American voters at the time, and um, and they won. And they were they controlled the state legislature, sent a had a U.S. senator, had a governor, and when they controlled the state legislature, they enacted various home rule measures. So all of a sudden, in North Carolina in the 1890s, in the areas where blacks were in the majority, or just there were a lot of them, they could elect aldermen, they wow. could elect mayors, and they could do all these things. All of a sudden. Okay, so the local Democratic Party goes, am I allowed to curse? Yep. Yes. They go absolutely apeshit. And they pull out the most, the biggest weapon they know of, which is racial panic, racial fear-mongering. And they unleash this on populism and on the Republicans who had come together. They called this movement fusionism because they had fused together. And they called this, the, what the Democrats did to them, they called it the white supremacy campaign. Uh, and they weren't just fooling around, just like call it. That that was their own name for themselves. Right. They were they were out front about campaign. it. Yeah. And they uh, they you know there's this hysterical campaign of fear against populism and and the Republican the fusionists. Wow. And they they won. Uh, in 1898, the election of 1898, they finally beat these guys. And as soon as they did it, they disenfranchised black voters and a whole lot of poor whites. And by the way, they did this all across the South. Up until right. that point in Southern history, in most Southern states, blacks were still allowed to vote. Mm. But once populism came along, it showed the sort of ruling class of the South, you know, this is really dangerous. It was a flex of the vote. muscle. And they weaponized race. Yes. For on, for class ends. Yeah, of course. Which is actually... Yeah. Uh, it, this was absolutely a class conflict. Right. This is breaking out all over America. This is the original class conflict in our society. And it's it involves farmers and industrial workers versus the owners, whether it's we're right. talking about southern planters or northern bankers or uh, the Vanderbilt family that owns railroads, you know, et cetera. Uh, that's, this is the original class conflict. And they, yeah, they weaponized... Uh, race to smash the party of mm. farmers and of working people. And they did it. And then they disenfranchised a huge, and in some places it actually got worse. There was a, this is extremely relevant right now. In one city in North Carolina, when this was done, they actually had a military coup. Do you know about this? No. It's the only successful coup uh, in American history, if you discount the Civil War, if you put the Civil War aside. Uh, they, uh, they'd, they'd beaten the populists and the Republicans, what were called the Fusionists. And in this one town, Wilmington, North Carolina, the local Democrats went further. And they got guns, 
and they went marching through the black part of town, shooting people indiscriminately, burning down buildings, chasing people out. They threatened to, they, they, uh, the city's mayor was a Republican. They got rid of him. The city's police chief was a populist. They got rid of him. <gasps> they threatened to lynch all these people. Holy uh, it, cow. Yeah, it, it's That's a, it's wild. a, I didn't even know this story until a few years ago. And it, it is fascinating to me that the one, and oh, and by the way, nothing happened to them. They threw out the mayor and the, the, leader, of the, the leader of the mob, the Democrat party mob installed himself as mayor <gasps> yes and and nothing happened to him oh my it god worked. it was successful that's it, you don't wow. when people and, think of the u.s they don't think of, of that. that story yeah well and it is a we still can't talk about that story straight I mean, people we just barely it. are talking about Black so Wall Street, for, right? For, the yeah. burning down of that. Like, I just learned about that recently, and I'm I'm in politics 24-7. I, I, I thought I knew about populism. I didn't know this story. I only found out about it a little while ago. Wow. Because until very recently, it was referred to as the Wilmington race riot. Mm. Oh, like oh. it was both sides. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right, Everybody right. did right. propaganda. Everyone no, this did was some a, things, a, a and they well all regretted it. white mob of former Confederate wow. soldiers marching through the black part of town shooting and burning. And... And that we still, by the way, and now we're in this period where people do talk about these things more openly, but they still can't tell the story right because the, one of the because the, one of the victims is populism, populism. and they right. can't. Yeah. That, that just bursts people's brains yeah. when they think that. Wait, populism wasn't the mob, right? So right. Wait a minute, populism, populism was the, the victim victims of, of the, the mob? white supremacist so mob. So what? <laughs> Let me ask you this question because this is definitely relevant to this story. One of my biggest fears today is that you can basically have all like the class conflict that's very clear in society. I feel like there's this interchangeable thing that happens and the media certainly plays into this that it's almost like cultural grievances are just swapped for class grievances and then there's like the supremacy of the cultural grievance and what I'm worried nope. about is unless wait, we're wait, relentlessly wait. I, focusing I, I, on I class. I remember somebody wrote a book about this. <laughs> <laughs> but, but my question is what if the worst case scenario is true, which is like they could just always kind of quash the class grievances by just pivoting to the culture war? That's my question. And I feel like that's the nightmare that we're in right now. Yeah, in some right? ways it is. And well, that was it. Look, I tried to write uh, the, the history. So the populists were they went they deliberately avoided the culture war issues of their day. The right. main one being prohibition. Right. Of alcohol for those for those of you who are who don't, <laughs> don't know your the history of this part of you know American life, but uh, they they deliberately didn't talk. They never talked about this because it was so divisive and it would it would have fractured their uh, their following their coalition. Sure, and uh, uh, and eventually they did they 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 lost anyway for reasons that we just described yeah. and then a bunch of other things that happened to them. But uh, uh, populist movements. Some of them have been extremely successful. You think about the 1930s, the labor movement, the cultural populism of that period, Franklin D. Roosevelt, the New Deal, overwhelmingly successful. But then at other times, it's been very, uh, uh, not easy, but it's been possible to short circuit when people try to build movements that bring working yeah. class people together. It's it's turned out to be relatively easy to short circuit those. Look, this is the story of what's the matter with Kansas right. is that these class grievances are buried under a mountain of 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 culture war crap. Yes, right. uh, and you know, be, and this is what I discovered when I when I, when I started writing that book. I was like, um, this is a long time ago now. Uh, 
I was drawn down there by the state's war on the theory of evolution, which was just so bizarre. Right. I couldn't believe it was happening. Yeah. And and uh, and then I, you know, I interviewed all the leaders of the sort of conservative movement there, and they were all deep in the culture wars. Culture wars were all they cared about. Mm -hmm. And what I eventually discovered was that every single one of the culture war battles was expressed in terms of class grievance. Mm. Every single one is about you, the honest, hardworking American citizen versus this shadowy elite on the two yeah. coasts who are trying to tell you what to think. These Hollywood people, these New York people mm -hmm. that are telling you it's what to think. It's a brilliant bait and switch if you think about it. to tell you how to live. It's truly brilliant. It, it is brilliant. I, again, I don't know if it's done deliberately. I don't think it is. I think these things ha manifest. I mean, there are some geniuses behind it all, right? We think back to the Nixon days. <laughs> Yeah. You know, right. There, uh, Spiro Agnew. This was, you know, the people who were behind, uh, like Kevin Phillips, uh, Pat Buchanan. Uh, these guys are really good at the game. Uh, who who wrote Spiro Agnew's speeches for him? But you see it all there in miniature. This is transforming class animosity into culture war. Yeah. They were very good at it. And we're, it's still with us. I mean, it's everywhere today. So it's all around us. How do you see the events of last week then? And how does that fit into populism, the history of populism, anti-populism? What's your view? Okay, next question. <laughs> <laughs> I, look, what can I say that that hasn't been said? It's absolutely, uh, you know, it's terrifying. It's atrocious. Uh, it's not populism. Populism does not mean mob rule. Uh, it, it doesn't mean demagoguery. Yeah. It doesn't mean Donald Trump. Um, well, he's it, a successful fake populist, I'd say. He's like yeah, the ultimate right. fake no, that's populist. Right. Right. There's yeah, a yeah. kind of, there, there is a kind of phony populism. Yes. Right. What I was just talking about where you, yeah. you, 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 you capture people's class anger. Grievance. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're, and which is a legitimate grievance yes. in my yes. view. Mm -hmm. right. But you capture that with these other tools. But God, those people on the Capitol are, uh, the people who ransacked the Capitol, they, you know, there've been now a couple of efforts to interview a bunch of them and see what their causes are, what they think. Other than we know what their main cause was, right? They want Donald Trump to continue yeah. being right. president. They think he won the election. Right. And, uh, and really think that. Yeah, like, really know, believe know, it. Isn't that? Well, yeah. This it, is wait, but 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 here's the the bottom line is that they appear to me to just be there. Some of them we know what they're like. If you're carrying a Confederate flag, we know what you believe in. Right. right. Yeah. You're making it really super but, plain and, there. And, but but what about the guys carrying South Vietnam flags? What the hell's up with that? Well, you did know, you see that? No, I didn't. I didn't. Crystal and I were talking about this the other day, and it, there's like dueling narratives going on now because some people, like Professor Richard Wolf, for example, who I love and who eventually will have on this show and everything, uh, he's making the argument that like actually yes, the economic grievances are driving a large number of the people who were at Capitol Hill that day. So there is an argument for like- oh, Wait, I, I, Kyle, I wanna, I wanna interrupt here a second. Yeah, go ahead. So I've spent a lot of time with, with these kind of protesters. Mm -hmm. Remember, I used to write about the Tea Party movement. Uh, Republicans, Trump supporters aren't just working class people. Well, that's, right. that was what I was gonna get to. I was gonna say that the other argument is some of the people who were there were CEOs. Yeah. Some women, of, I would one say... woman flew in on a private jet. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it's a mix. It's messy is my, is my would, point. Of course. Yeah. And they're all over the map. They come from all over the country. They had to travel a long way. So when I used to hang around with the Tea Party people, mm. these were small business people. Right. Now, they were uh, they were 
they did something very interesting, which was to try to capture, uh, it, it was a performance. They were trying to, ca this was 2009, 2010, mm -hmm. so we're in the Great Recession. The uh, economy has collapsed. Wall Street has, is, has done these things where everybody's angry. Remember, and we bailed them out. Bailed them right? out. And they've committed open, Bonuses. obvious fraud, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And nothing's happening to them. And these people get together and manage to capture public anger about it. It was kind of a genius move, but it wasn't working class people at those rallies. These were small business people, a lot of lobbyists actually. Yeah. Uh, Chomsky said the anger is real, but yes, there's it, there's an astroturf element to it where it is some people who are kind of yeah. steering the movement who are pretty well off. Yeah. And that's the thing is like it's a messy situation. There's no clean neat exactly. narrative that so there, fits there it. is no there is no great sociological right. breakdown of it. And uh, I would I would caution anybody, you know, against saying that this was some kind of yeah, pure a, a working, working class, class revolt protest. Yeah. Right. Sure. I've been at a lot of strikes. Mm -hmm. You know, those are working class yes, protests. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, you know. And what I have seen that has been worrisome is and it actually ties into painting everybody there as, as a working class person is then people who want to consolidate elite control use this image to say, this is what populism is. We yes, can't have yeah. this. Mm -hmm. We can't have these people. These people are crazy, yeah. right? They're ransacking the camp. They believe in utter insanities and delusions. They worship this crazy, maniacal guy. Like, we can't let these people run anything. And then that's yeah. used to yeah. quash legitimate majoritarian populist movements. And wait, I, I want to point out another sort of shocking aspect of this is that it's largely Democrats that are saying that. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is the, the putative party of the people, the, the, the political party founded by Thomas Jefferson uh, that has totally lost its faith in ordinary Americans and denounces them all the time, wants to control them, wants to censor what they, and I'm it's the core of what they do now and wants, what they wants, stand for. Yeah, it, what they want to censor what we see and read. Uh, they want us to. I mean, I was just reading some some asshole today was saying <laughs> people need to. Uh, they need to swear that they'll wear a mask or something before we'll give them. Yes, you know, I saw that. That, that was Ky that was yeah. Kyle actually. You know, it's like it's like that's uh, you know. Look, there's a larger there's a, a larger historical issue going on here that you know the, these riots. By the way, and I don't want to downplay the importance of this. I, you know, I've studied fascism and I've studied like uh, you know right wing terrorism in the 1970s when I was a kid. Uh, uh, it was around, not in this country, but like in Italy and yeah. Spain um, and uh, other places, South Africa. And uh, uh, th this could be the beginning of something really dreadful. I mean, not too many. I mean, only a, a handful of people got killed during this, which is amazing. Right. That anybody got killed, but they got inside the Capitol, mm -hmm. right? I, I still can't. That still well, boggles I think it's, the mind. But I we'll think talk it's about that. The so cops... I'm not an expert on this stuff. And yeah. I wasn't there, and I haven't read. Anyhow, the thing is, this could be the beginning of something really awful, and I don't want to brush it off, and I don't want to diminish the significance of it. This could be the start of something really, really, really bad. Uh, but it also could be the, the last gasp of Trumpism. Well, I was going to say, so do you see, like, so we have Biden, and then do you see, like, a more competent demagogue like Cruz or Hawley winning in 2024? Is that the fear? Yeah, I, those guys might those guys might be done for. But the, the, look, Trumpism is not going away. All, right. Everything that we've just described, yeah. the substituting of cultural grievances for economic ones. Right. And then Trump added to that. Remember, Trump actually did talk about I'm not going to cut your social security. Grievances. We got to yes. stop outsourcing the jobs. Yes. No more outsourcing. Exactly. NAFTA was the worst trade deal ever signed. Yeah, of course. No, then he didn't do 
Didn't do anything, yeah. I was about to there say, was I was about to say jack shit. I, I, right. I, I, I keep forgetting the FCC might not like that. What the hell? Nobody gives a damn no. anymore. <laughs> whatever you want, Thomas. Yeah, whatever you want. It's so funny. But, uh, uh, you know, when I was young, you had to be very careful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. I, Are you okay? Back I certain? threw my back out. I was, yeah. You want a cushion day. or something? No, no, I'm okay. fine. I just gotta, okay. I've got to sit. Okay. A certain way. Perfectly gotcha. still. No, no gestures. I've even. done that. And it's horrible. Um, so what does all of this but, mean? But wait, we were, there was a question that I was of yours that I was going to get back to, which is okay. this broader problem of this mistrust of ordinary Americans right. that you see. And, you know, Republicans have said things like that forever. What disturbs me is that it's now in the Democratic Party, that the Democratic Party has has come to identify itself with with um, credentialed expertise hierarchy, uh, with hierarchy, the people at the top, with the elite. I mean, let's just let's use the word with the elite in a way that I've never seen before, and it's that is really disturbing, and that's not how I mean, you can try running a left a left-wing movement that way or a party of the left that way and maybe that will succeed but it's not going to be a party that does any of the things that I'm interested in doing right it's uh, a and this is the story of our times is the you know trumpism is a reaction to that in some ways right yes uh, but what burns me up all the time is that you've got one party that is this this pseudo populist this fake these you know fake class based uprisings and and you know re, you know uh, appeals to people whose lives really are being destroyed right you just drive through any small town outside of uh, outside of one of the big cities you know I just drove through upstate New York yesterday yeah mm -hmm. I was driving through uh, like uh, Vermont and stuff and when you're outside of the fancy ski resorts and the big cities and all that th these people's lives are being destroyed right yeah, yeah. And there, there's, they have a right to be pissed off. So Trump appeals to them in this really awful way. And the Democrats turn up, which is ordinarily the party that would be speaking to them and trying to do something about their situation. The Democrats turn up their noses at them yeah. and shake their fingers at them, scold them. Uh, and they've become a kind of, well, the, the term that I use in, in my new book is um, uh, that we, that, 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 a certain kind of liberal inhabits a utopia of scolding. Mm. And I'll unpack that if you want. But it's like, I, I don't want to go on too long because I know you have another question. No, And I have going. a problem with, I just talk too much. No, we you, like it. It's go. because you have Please, a lot to say. On. Go ahead. <laughs> so we are, what we're seeing in this country is, okay, so not only are they sort of, um, you know, I always used to say there's two hierarchies in America. There's one hier hierarchy of money you know, corporate power. And there's a hierarchy of, of credentials, of expertise, mm -hmm. of, um, you know, the professional elite, people whose, yeah. people whose uh, affluence is I went based, to the right schools. Yeah, it's based mm, on their right, achievements yeah. in school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But no, they have, you know, they have, we're, we're here in the, we're here in a, a building named for a very famous professional association. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, lawyers, doctors, uh, Cultural academics. Power yeah, too. well, uh, ac it comes from their achievements in school, from, right. from credentialed expertise. And uh, they are an elite just as much as the, uh, you know, the, 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 the hierarchy of money, you know, Silicon Valley, Wall Street, et cetera. What's really alarming is right now, those two elites are coming together. Okay, this is something I've never seen before in 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 my lifetime. So uh, it used to be that the corporate elite was on the Republican side, and the sort of credentialed elite of professional elite was on the Democratic side. And they're, I mean, we're we're in a situation now where they are uniting, and that is disturbing. 
Uh, I mean, it's disturbing if you're on the left because the, the situation that I've just described. There's no workers' Who's party. left out? Yeah. yeah there's, there's no <laughs> what's, that, what's missing from this picture? Yeah. Us. Well, and what does that mean? What does that portend for the future of a stable society if you have two party, parties of the elites and no mass popular expression? No, nobody is representing the interests of the it's workers. No union help. representation either. Yeah. That's right. And well, that Biden, used to be the Democratic Party. Yeah. 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 Right. Uh, Look, that's, that is a great question. And the way I like to put it, and this is, I think of this as the theme of my entire life as a writer, mm. is what happens to a middle-class society like the one I was born into? What happens to a middle-class society when you no longer have a party of the traditional left, when that is gone, when that is removed from the equation, which happened in this country? That's Clintonism. I mean, that's Carter in some ways, but that's the, Dem the Democratic Party has said, Openly, we're not interested in being that party anymore. We don't want to be the party of organized yeah, workers. We don't yeah. want to be the you know we're we don't want to be the party of 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 poor people. We don't want to be you know they're not interested in that. They're interested in something else. We can talk about that something else later. But what happens when you know the party of the left gives up on its traditional role? And as far as I know, we're one of the only. Well, it's happening all over the world, but we're much we're way ahead of everyone else. Yeah. So what sure. happens to a society like the one I, I was born in 1965? You had a very broad distribution of wealth, at least in the northern states, uh, especially for white people, but also for a lot of black people as well. This was America was basically a social democracy. Right. And uh, not in the South, of course. But uh, in like where I grew up, yeah, the uh, you know there was not a huge divide between the rich and the poor, mm -hmm. or the rich and, and the sort of blue collar working people. Well, what happens when the party of the left gives up on that? Well, two things. First of all, you that's all gone to hell. You 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 know you have incredible inequality, and you know the statistics from this this are COVID that what what is it uh, uh, the uh, Jeff Bezos. Yeah, now the richest man in the yeah. world, his wealth increases by some incredible amount every day. He owns our newspaper. 60 percent of small businesses that shut are permanently shut. I believe yeah. the stat was he could have given every single Amazon worker a hundred and twenty-five thousand dollar bonus and still have made money during the crisis. Wow. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Yeah, it, and it's but it just gets worse. And it was already extremely bad before any of this began. I used to, you know, yeah. go, this is we've been talking about this for a long time. It's uh, but it just gets worse and worse and worse. That's one thing that happens. And the other thing that happens is Trumpism, mm. is that you have these demagogic right wing, you know, the, the, the Republican Party is now looking around for ways to, you know, to get elected. And, and you'd have to be, you know, a, a complete political dunce not to see that this spells opportunity. Right. Look, the, the Democrats have, and by the way, Nixon could see this back in 68, the Democrats are abandoning their traditional, the people that they've been identified with forever. They're abandoning them. You'd have to be, you know, it would be political malpractice for them not to reach out and try to win these voters over in some way. And that's precisely what they've done for 40 years now. Yeah. And they have succeeded at it. It's just, it's absolutely maddening. But it's it, what it is, is it's a recipe for disaster. You know, I, I uh, learned something very interesting that you taught me today. Um, I didn't know that 85% of newspapers, roughly 85% of newspapers were anti-FDR. And so what I took away from that fact is that it wasn't just the corporate elite and the moneyed interests who were lined up against him. It was also the cultural elite that were lined up against oh, him. Yes. So my that 
triggered the thought for me that in some ways FDR was like a left Trump, <laughs> right? But who actually okay, meant it? He, no, no, he, he was, was a real, real. populist. Yeah. Yes, he was a real populist, yes. right? But so my question for you is, because we do have some lawmakers today who are elected who took no corporate PAC money, <clears throat> took no big money, only raised through small dollar donations. Nominally, in terms of what they believe in, it's a social democratic agenda. So they check all the boxes on that stuff. But one of the problems that I see from them is that they're terrified to actually lean into having the media hate them. And they're terrified to lean into sort of like the cultural battle here. They'd rather align with the cultural elites as opposed to be opposed to the cultural mm -hmm. elites. So if you have a left that sort of leans into that battle with the media, do you think that would yield better results? And can you get like a left Trump who actually succeeds on some of these things? Well, the answer is yes, you could, but they don't want to do that. That's uh, it's they, that that the memory of 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 the of the 1930s is so distant. It's so forgotten. Right. Yeah. That whenever I remind people of it, they're like you. They didn't. They didn't know it. They're shocked. No but idea. It, so just to fill in the. Um, to tell the whole story. So Roosevelt was elected in 32, the you know deepest level days of the depression. The day he was inaugurated, all the banks in America were closed, for wow. example. Yeah, it was a complete economic catastrophe. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, nobody really knew in 32 what he meant by New Deal. Sometimes he would spell it out, but it was, it was fairly vague. And so a lot of the American elite was with Roosevelt in, in, in 32. Uh, by 1936, they know what he means by it. <laughs> it means he's going to break up the banks. He's going to regulate the remaining banks. He's going to set up the Securities and Exchange Commission. He's going to be breaking up monopolies. He's going to, you know, he's going to have uh, programs giving jobs to, to uh, unemployed people. You know, he's going to be raising wages all over the place. Unions are forming. It's like it is, it is uh, you know, doomsday for capitalism, right? <laughs> so by 1936, they know what this guy is up to. And the election of 1936, they came, the American elite came together against him in this incredible way. And when I say the American elite, I mean all of them. I mean, um, not just the rich, like the DuPont family, the richest family in America who bankrolled the first great right-wing front group. They were called the American Liberty League. Uh, they had more money than the Republican Party oh, that Jesus. year. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But the, you know, the, so the rich were, were with the Republicans. Uh, the newspapers of America, like you said, 85% of them, Amazing. an estimated 85% of them were against Roosevelt. And they denounced him in the most extreme kind of way. It, it is reminiscent of the anti-Trump feel. Like, you know, how. At any time during the last four years, you could open up the Washington Post and there'd be eight op-eds denouncing yeah. Trump. Yeah. Mm -hmm. eight, and nothing else. Yep. Every They're single not, story. Everything else in the yeah. world is ignored. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know? Well, it was like that in 36 against wow. Roosevelt, just constantly. The, the Chicago Tribune, which was one of the biggest papers in America at the time, uh, would denounce him on page one, these page one political cartoons. I mean, the most extreme kind of rhetoric, <laughs> calling him a communist, calling him a subversive, all of this on and on and on. But the, uh, uh, the, the sort of professional elites of America were against him, the lawyers, uh, the American Bar Association, all these guys, the preachers of America. I'm leaving, uh, oh, economists. Mm. Right, they, yeah, they, yeah, you yeah. Know, they, they hated him. But I'm talking about orthodox economists yes. here, Harvard, you know, MIT, the, um, the people who are in charge of the profession. Yeah. Roosevelt had his own economic advisors, people like uh, John Kenneth Galbraith, who are really, really outside of the mainstream. And they were trying all kinds of new things. But orthodox economics, uh, along with all the other professions, they absolutely hated this guy. And yeah, they came together against him in this extraordinary way. And um, 
and Roosevelt proceeded to win in one of the biggest landslides of all time. Wow. You said it made but, the but people it, like him more, right? Yeah. Le- well, you said he leaning into it. That's exactly what he did. Yes. He would go on the radio and he would he would talk about this that they <laughs> all hate me. That's yeah. so he called, them, he called them. He had a term for them. He called them economic royalists. Oh, that's you such know, which a good is so term, great, right? right? You know, and, he's, so and he, I, he says, "I welcome their hatred." Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was it, it was it was beautiful, and he just wailed on them. But he also had uh, the radio, so he was able. He had that wonderful voice. Mm. and he could go on the radio and be very reassuring. And the public loved him. And there was a, not really a study by our modern day standards, but somebody at the time went back and read all the newspaper coverage and said that uh, back then cities used to have more than one newspaper. And they said that even in cities where all of the papers were against Roosevelt. Those were the cities where he did best. best. Oh my God, which, that which, is yeah, so which, awesome. <laughs> which indicated that not only did people like Roosevelt, but they hated the media so much. Yes. yes. Which they still Just did. like today, there just was, like today, exactly. There was actually, yes. I, this history I had, I had no idea of either. There was actually a piece in the Washington Post about how business leaders and elites tried to foment an actual armed coup. Right, so against... I, didn't, I didn't talk about that in the book because the evidence for that is, is very poor. Mm. Uh, but it, it's captured the imagination and people talk about it all the time. This was, uh, uh, the, I forget who it was. It was a guy from, it was some Wall Street broker. And he had been, it's actually kind of an interesting story. He had been on vacation in Europe. Uh-huh. And he'd been hanging around with some guys in Italy, and mm, he'd been learning. <laughs> yeah. Picking up yeah. some tricks and, and some techniques. guys in France, and he had learned all about this great thing called fascism. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and and he came back to America. So we only know little bits and pieces of it. We don't know the whole story. Yeah. But he came back to America and evidently tried to uh, uh, tried to encourage uh, some of his other uh, business friends to. Uh, to mount a fascist coup, okay? Now, this never got anywhere. It was apparently, as far as we know, it was one guy uh, sort of like Cooking this up. Yeah, yeah, dreaming this up on his own in his spare time. (laughs) The the stuff that I'm describing, like the American Liberty League, this This was real. This was real. And they were giving speeches all over America and they were issuing pamphlets and they were on the radio all the time and they were doing black tie banquets here in D.C. where they, you know, the the, the owner of the Washington Post would be there and some, you know, exiled royalty from from Uh. Europe would be there. And, (laughs) you know, what killed these guys is that the American Liberty League is that they were totally upfront about their elitism. About right. the yeah. uh, it's like we we represent America's best people. That's yeah. So it's sort of like the Democrats, the though. Now <laughs> you, meaning the voters, have to learn to stay in your place. Right. And what we what what is just absolutely you know blows your mind when you go back and dig through the original materials from from the 30s is they were they were right up front about this. They would talk wow. about eugenics. Oh, my wow. God. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. They're like, well, the reason you are uh, in the working class and oh. I am here at this fancy resort speaking to my fellow professional attorneys is because, uh, you know, I'm the result of good breeding. Oh wow. My God. And you are down there because your ancestors are like a bunch of fuck today's, ups. Today's you liberals know? stop a step short of that. They don't yeah, quite go that far. But... but they were open about this. They <laughs> wow. would like publish this stuff. And, and the, you know, can you imagine trying to to make a political sale by denouncing ordinary people. Right. Like, it's like, it's so stupid. It, 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 it boggles the but imagination. But, but they, yeah, they lost. <laughs> <laughs> we never learned that lesson, though. Yeah. And we are right back to that today. I mean, now we do it in, in slightly more subtle terms, but when you see one of those yard signs. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. And say, respect science. 
well, you and I, we, we've been to college. We know that's not what the scientific method is. It's not a matter of respect. Yeah. Right. They, you know, it's a matter of questioning. And, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and trying to poke holes in a hypothesis, et cetera. Testing an idea. That's not what's... They're talking about respect science means respect credentials, respect yes. right. Yes. Right. Know your place. Sort of like the deification of Fauci, for example. There's right. this, the Democratic, like, they love him so much. It's so fawning and so over the top. Meanwhile, early on, he actually, he said that you shouldn't buy masks. He outright, yeah, I know. Well, look, outright lied about it. One of the things that we all know is experts make mistakes. I, I make mistakes, and I'm not going to uh, go. I mean, I like Fauci personally. I've never met him or anything, but but I like him. But I do have to point this out again and again and again. This is something I'm going to point it out to you. And I, every time I get a chance, I, I tell whoever I'm talking to about this. We are living in a time of incredible cascading elite failures. That's right. One after another, after another, after another. Uh, depending on when you want to start, you want to start with the Iraq war, you want to start with the financial crisis, you know, you can list them. And these are failures by credentialed authorities, by, you know, yes. by, by, by professionals, by people at the very top, bailing each other out, never holding each other accountable, getting us into stupid wars, uh, or look at, you know, uh, uh, mismanaging Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. And I always, this one always makes me chuckle because she was advised by the very smartest people in American politics. Mm -hmm. And they lost to a guy that had smartest never run people. for office right. before, yeah. mm -hmm. whose campaign was managed by Steve Bannon, who had never managed a campaign before. Right. And they lost to this guy. And they right. learned no lesson from that. Right. And But you, it goes on and on and on. Elite failure on top of elite failure on top of elite failure. But there's nobody saying, oh, we need to do something about our elites and the way they keep screwing up. There is no sort of program of study for that. There is no handy term for denouncing these people. Instead, it's always about populism. And this is this is goes way beyond the events of, of last week at the Capitol. This is the, you know the last five years, both in America and in and in Europe, all of these intellectuals crying and gnashing their teeth and tearing their hair because the people don't trust them the experts anymore. yeah mm -hmm. people people have lost faith in the experts and wait the, the answer that and they, they they talk about this all the time constantly it's in the newspaper every single day here yes. in washington but one answer is off limits to them can never be explored can never be discussed can never be acknowledged and that is the possibility that of elite failure we right. fucked up yeah right they no no that can't be the answer no. so it's like it's, it's like they do everything they do it the, the opposite of the way facebook ad yeah. it's got to be the opposite yeah. of the way. Like, how would a scientist approach this they'd be like what's the simplest answer for why people hate Occam's elites because right. elites keep fucking up well and but they're you know they they don't they won't use that answer right it has to be this really convoluted thing about how everybody is deluded everybody's yep. been tricked and they, well trump you know. has been an amazing excuse because you can it's just his fault yeah it's yeah. all it's just his fault yeah. there was no like any he just popped out of the ether and he magically made everything yeah. horrible nothing was horrible where before it was all going from. great borchera was amazing he's a hero yeah. right this just yeah. popped out of nowhere and that, i think that's one of the worst things about the time that we're living in is that so i came out of academia i got a phd some years ago and they are as enlisted in this in this culture war now as anybody else i right. never thought of them that way but it certainly seems like they are now and that's singularly disheartening to me so let me let me ask you this. This is a question I've been thinking a lot about. Is it worth it to take head on the myth making and the deification of democratic figures like Bill Clinton and Obama? Because 
Bernie's strategy in 2016 and in 2020 was to almost just leave that off the table completely. Like, let's not get into Bill Clinton's legacy. Let's not get into Obama's legacy. Because Obama, for example, has a high approval rating, even though he was very neoliberal, corporatist, standard status quo type president. So do you think it makes sense to take on those sacred cows or, or no? Well, speaking as somebody who is, uh, you know, writes books and, you know, what, what you do when you're a journalist or an intellectual is you try to hold the powerful accountable. Of course you do. Well, I mean, for politicians running, like oh. if you're a left politician running, trying to win. Is it worth trying to take on Is it on worth that trying battle? to take on the legacy of Obama to say, actually, no, he did a lot of bad things. Like when he bailed out Wall Street and then they gave out you bonuses know. and then they didn't even limit it. I, I So, I by the way, uh, we're speaking on the morning that Biden just announced his economic plan, or I guess that was last night. Mm -hmm. And you can, that is a, itself a sort of repudiation of Obamaism. It's it's That's more true. than twice as big as the stimulus that Obama right. proposed. And it, so it's it's a tacit acceptance of the critique at the time that Obama's stimulus was way too small and too paltry. Uh, so uh, whether they say it openly or not, uh, they have to come to terms with that legacy. So I, I liked Obama, voted for Obama. I was happy with him. The one that, that burns me up is Clinton and Clintonism. And that is a legacy that, that they do have to repudiate openly because that legacy is, uh, you think about, think about Clinton's big five accomplishments as president. Okay. What were they? Um, uh, let's, let's, uh, I, I always try to do them in, in oh, order, I, but welfare I get it reform, wrong, but I think... welfare reform, uh, the crime bill of 94, uh, bank deregulation, which also telecom Class deregulation, Eagle, yeah. um, NAFTA. NAFTA. Yeah, of course, the trade agreements. And it wasn't just NAFTA, remember, he also got PNTR with China. Right, that's even which worse. Which was much more disastrous. And the crime bill. And and, and then uh, the balanced budget. Oh, balanced budget. I did budget the crime budget. Yeah. The crime bill. All five of those things were Republican proposals. All five of them. Basically, Clinton is made the sale for Republican policies. These are things that Reagan wanted. In Re I mean, Reagan negotiated NAFTA. Right. right. Yeah. Or the Reagan's team negotiated it. Yeah. And, uh, uh, the but they couldn't, they couldn't welfare, get it passed. It was all Reagan. All of these ideas were, were are Reagan ideas. Yep. You know, deregulating Wall Street, all this. And uh, uh, Clinton got it done in this spectacular way. And that is a legacy that if we don't come to terms with, with what a disaster that was for the country yeah. and for the Democratic Party, uh, then we are lost. And I, it, it is uh, ironic to me that as we've gone through this, this last year of racial reckoning, which I think really needed to happen, um, that somehow the, those a lot of these Democrats are exempt from that. I mean, it's highly ironic. Highly that, ironic. That, right. that Joe Biden was the Democratic nominee in this in the great year of Black Lives and Matter. No, this is and the, no one really talks about that. He's the author that. of the '94 crime That's bill. That's right. right. Yeah. And ha had a hand in a bunch of the other the earlier ones as well. Yeah. And yeah. he's the nominee this year. It's like, it's like, it's like, uh, uh, you know, I have a philosophy of two, of 2020. I have a way of looking at it. What What's is that? it? <laughs> it's kind of vulgar. That's uh, okay. You're free, free to say whatever. <laughs> so the Romans thought that that the gods were were very were very human, and that the gods uh, liked to play with us, like you and I would play chess. Mm. The gods would move us around, and they would the gods would would torment us just just for the fun of it, just to see how we reacted. And that's 2020. They're just fucking with us. Yeah, it feels gods. like it, right? Like like making Bernie drop out right before the pandemic. Oh my hit. god! I know. So the guy the guy who's proposing universal, universal health care, right. you know, which would have been like an obvious thing once you realize what the pandemic is and what it's going to entail. So yeah. and then making Joe. Biden the nominee. And I want to dig in on what you were saying about how his stimulus proposal represents a certain tacit repudiation of Obama. I, I've been 
paying attention a little bit this week to Joe Scarborough on Morning Joe, who's like, you know, direct line into elites in Washington. <laughs> and it's been really interesting because this this morning he was on there going like, here's how I argue in favor of universal health care to my conservative friends. Making Joe Scarborough? Joe yeah, Scarborough. surprising, I and, know. Yeah, and he making this it. case <laughs> earlier this week, he was making this case about how FDR was right on that we've got to have these reforms in order to save capitalism. Otherwise, this whole thing is going to fall apart. And I'm watching this going, what the hell is going on here? That is interesting. Isn't it interesting? Is he still a Republican, by the way? Allegedly. Mm, He's a Biden Democrat. He sees himself as conservative, right? (laughs) Or at least plays it up that way. But I thought that and you've seen... Biden on, you know, embracing $2,000 checks. Now it's 1400 plus 600 whatever. Embracing $2,000 checks, embracing a, a larger, I think, stimulus than we expected and certainly a lot larger than the Obama era. I mean, do you think that there's any kind of a recognition there that they got to give some scraps to the working class or else this is going to end badly for them? Uh, yeah, I, I, I look, I don't know. And we all know what it's basically they've taken everything that's been floating around in the ether here in Washington for the last for the last year and and threw it Put all it in together into a proposal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's great. It's massive. It includes everything. Uh, but it's not enough by itself. There's going to have to be a lot more reforms that that happen. And, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see whether. Biden, so Biden is a Biden is an interesting guy because um he does uh, identify with uh, unions and with blue collar people. You know, he likes to tour factories. You know, he likes he's to got speak the affect. Union He's got the affect, but his record is still his very, very poor. Clinton esque. Yep. Right. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so. It- and you know all the excuses people make for him. They're like, well, Biden is a, you know, he's a party, he's a party man. And so he does whatever the leadership tells him. And now that he's in the leadership, he gets to do whatever he wants. The well, new FDR articles I've been, yeah, I oh think are, are insane. But yeah. to, to Crystal's point. It would be nice, wouldn't it? I, mean, no, I, I would sure. love it. Are you kidding Cheering me? Prove uh, me wrong, just, Joe. Just, yeah, I just <laughs> want to throw one thing out there. If, if Biden, if Biden does it. Right. If he pulls uh, a Harry Hopkins kind of th- Harry Hopkins was Roosevelt's advisor who was is this uh, in, was able to get relief money out to uh, people in, in cre- with incredible speed, set up the WPA, all this stuff early on in the in the Roosevelt era. If Biden's able to do something like that and get everybody vaccinated in the first hundred days, get money out to people in the first hundred, this country will love him. Oh, are you yeah. kidding me? There, we we want to love somebody. Oh, yeah. It would so be so low. great to have a Give leader. Me yeah. One, yeah. one no, really universal so program. Give me one universal yeah. program. Yeah. And everybody be like, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. So yeah. Put him on Mount Rushmore. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. He's, yeah. he's, and and that's, that's a great opportunity. It is. This guy could do it. And uh, yeah, he's got so. both houses now. And he, if he knows how to play the game, and supposedly he does, right? He can do the Lyndon Johnson thing and, yeah. and, and, get, and twist people's arms Fingers and get, get, get people to vote for things that they ordinarily wouldn't vote for. If he's able to do that, uh, he he has it in his hands. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, I, 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 I can't... I have a sort of gag reflex when I start to be optimistic about Democrats. Yeah, no, you because can't. Because I remember be. no, what no. happened last you time. You expect the, the worst. I expect the worst. I mean, just to, Obamacare is a great example of this, right? Like, Obama and the Democrats ended up 
ultimately proposing the conservative reform because yep. that originally came from the Heritage Foundation. Right. Exactly. And it was Romneycare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They so negotiate it's like, with it was Bob Dole's, right. Bob Dole's alternative to, to Clinton. Exactly. Yeah. Newt Gingrich <laughs> supported it back in the day. So, like, that's always what I come to expect from the Democrats. Well, yeah. I mean, even on the, the $2,000 checks, it's a perfectly illustrative yeah. example. Like, I meant they ran on this <laughs> yeah. super clear, like, amazingly clear, you know, Facebook ads that literally say, vote for Reverend Warnock and you will get a $2,000 check. Yeah. And then, yeah. before like, they even... Well, you already got 600 of yeah. it. Before they even take it <laughs> a to total. We meant a total of 2,000. Like, well, I mean, right, 14 plus the 600, and if you count in, it's like, no, you have a um, political winner. You've you've made a but promise. They, but wait, they also say, but that's how that's what Trump meant when he proposed it. So we're just doing what Trump... <laughs> yeah. Isn't, you know, what? isn't it funny when Trump but, stakes out the left wing of the acceptable? Uh, Yes, and, exactly. And that issue was dead until Trump re-injected it back yeah. into the conversation. I, I mean, credit to Bernie, Hawley and Bernie. Yeah. Way, every time we say there, Trump's yeah. name, you have to say that asshole. That right. asshole, that's correct. <laughs> but I, to your point, Crystal, to the point about Morning Joe, which I think is actually really interesting that he is doing this turn right and now. He's, by the way, he calls himself a populist now. Oh, what? Trump? I didn't hear that. I swear to God. Okay. Trump? That, yeah. Yes, he called no, Trump no. or Morning Joe. Morning Joe. Oh my God, that's the Calls craziest thing. What? I swear I, to God. I can't believe it either. But anyway, my question, based off that, is, um, <laughs> I'm sorry if I'm going to make you watch Morning Joe. It's Out of curiosity, you guys have to understand. I don't, I don't watch TV anymore. I'm not invited on TV in this country. I'm not like I'm totally persona non grata. In the, you and the Noam Chomsky, you're not allowed on. Yeah, but 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 it's fine. I don't. It's I don't care. You I feel really better, don't care. Right. I I I'm able to do good work. I'm proud of what I do, and uh, the you know, I I they buy my books in Australia, so I'm happy. <laughs> I buy your books too. I and I recommend everybody buys your books. Um, but my question is. There was. A, do you remember the author who was on Morning Joe or no? Do you remember his name? I don't remember his name. It's okay. We. It's no big deal. Um, anyway, this author basically framed FDR's successes as like the thing that saved capitalism, and it was good for capitalism. And so I think that's the framing that kind of triggered Morning Joe to be like, yeah. I like capitalism. Well, that's so, oh, that's, okay. a, that's a classic take on 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 FDR. I think it's uh, it's kind of a bullshit take. Okay, it's something I was going to ask you what say. you think of it. I mean, if you ask the capitalists at the time, they would be like, oh. <laughs> Yeah. They were like, this guy's a red. Right. Yeah. He's exactly. a commie. He's in league with the Russians, et cetera, et cetera. They, and they did say that. Yeah. Uh, Anderson, and they didn't think the there was any saving name. capitalism about it. But people said that in the beginning in the in the 1950s, you had this new generation. We can talk. They talk about this in relationship to populism. New generation of historians that came up. They were called the consensus school. And for them. Uh, political divisiveness, uh, like you saw in the 1930s, was anathema, and they tried to erase it from American history. And the idea was that all American politicians throughout our history, with a few tiny exceptions, have agreed on everything. And one of the things that they supposedly agree on is capitalism. Mm. So therefore, FDR has to be has to be reconfigured as a savior of capitalism. Okay. Oh, interesting. So, but is there value in that framing, though, for like normie Americans, or is it largely a negative to do that, to frame it that way? Uh, oh hell, I, I'm not. I you know that's not my business. Okay. The thing is the. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's true in the sense that he saved uh, America from some kind of something worse. So imagine, so Herbert Hoover is, uh, is, is this sort of disastrous president, doesn't do anything as, the, sort of like Trump, actually. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't do anything as, this, as the crisis worsens. I mean, you think of Trump over the last year, did jack right. all about, yeah. about Literally. COVID. It's just, it's so, by the way, he would have been easily reelected if he had shown in just the slightest bit of leadership. If he 
yeah. even Under- pretended to be doing anything. Yeah. Like, like Cuomo. Cuomo yeah. <laughs> was a high approval rate. He's just pretending. But since the election, I don't think he's talked about it at all. No. He no. just he, he only cares about like you know Stop I really seal. won. It was yeah. a, the whole thing's a fraud. It's just it's just it's just it's like what the hell kind of politician is this? Yeah. Anyhow, the, uh, where were we? Um, <laughs> well, oh, Hoover. Yeah. Yes. So imagine if Roosevelt had been another Hoover, which could easily have happened. The, the fact that you get this man who's extremely energetic, totally fearless, willing to try anything, uh, that you get the right man at the right time, that's kind of extremely fortunate. If you had had a, a second Hoover and everything just continued to tank. We could have became uh, fascist, right? Or communist or anything. Right. Yeah. Who knows? It could have, it, it, it could have, it could have become... I mean, anything could have happened. So, so let me. Let me so ask we are you, fortunate in that respect. Let me ask you this question about that era. So, all, all the elites align against Roosevelt. The cultural elites, the experts, the money. To, everybody's like, we hate this guy, and the public's like, we love him, and he gets elected and reelected resoundingly. Do you think that elites have consolidated power to the point in this country where that would actually be impossible? So it's happening right now, though. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. I misunderstood. I misunderstood. No. So so what I mean is, look, with with Trump, he's able to get elected. He has this, you know, somewhat grassroots base, but he also has an elite plutocratic agenda and consent and support and enabling from an elite class. So he's able to get taxes, (laughs) cut tax, deregulation, all of this stuff. They get their judges. They, They got exactly what they wanted out of the deal. So you have an elite class that supports him. Whereas if you look at like a left wing movement like the Sanders movement, you have only have the grassroots base and you have zero elite support and you have 100 percent elite antagonism. Are they just too powerful to overcome at this point or is it still possible? Ooh, look, I'm I'm a I try to be a hopeful person yeah. about things like this. Uh, the Sanders movement was really inspiring. Um, we can sit around and talk about what they did wrong. You know, I don't really want to get into that. Um, There'll be another Bernie Sanders. This movement. I, I, I should. I should say. I mean, let's talk about. Uh, first, let's, let me acknowledge the the downside of this. The elites are together in this country. We've talked about this already. The elites are together in this country, right now, in a way that we've never seen before. With you know, a Biden outraised and outspent Trump by a considerable amount. So did yeah. Hillary Clinton. Um, Republican areas all over America, the affluent Republican areas are shifting over to the Democratic Party. Um, you've been seeing the reports of, of traditional Republican donors cutting off Republican politicians. Yes. This is incredible. All these corporations, right? Uh, uh, and in some ways, you know, look, nobody likes to see Republicans go down. You know more than me. More than all right. of us. This, right. is, <laughs> this mm-hmm. is, in some ways, th- this is great. But you're also seeing a. a a coming together of the elites, a gathering of the elite tribes like we have never seen before in our lives, and that's scary. Okay, to get uh, uh, back to being hopeful about the future, let's see, why am I hopeful about the future? Oh, yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm older than you guys. I'm 55. I started the Baffler magazine in 1988. All those years that I was doing that, we were alone. I mean, there was, and you know, our ideas were extremely unpopular. Uh, And you know, I I was at the Wall Street Journal when uh, Obama became president, and I was the odd man out, believe me. And Mm -hmm. I've always, my entire career, has been, you know, 
predicated on the assumption that I am basically all by myself. Well, not anymore. Not anymore. I mean, you yeah. look around. There's like uh, all of these people, you know, uh, movements on the left are growing and building. And the, the support for Bernie is incredible. This is a man I interviewed him in. 2014, mm. maybe it was 15. It was before he declared his uh, his his candidacy for the presidency, and um, everybody just assumed, well, this guy's a crank. You know, he's going to run a kind of Ralph Nader campaign. You know, and look what he did. Look what right. he did. It's fantastic. Uh, better than I could have ever thought possible. His message is clearly resonating. Uh, it's uh, it's it's wonderful, and so I am very hopeful about that. That these ideas are catching on. And they're all over the place now. And I'm very positive about that. So do you think that um, there will be, as we just described, there's this elite consolidation behind the Democratic Party. Do you see a, a Republican civil war now happening? Oh, the Trumpists versus of the course. establishment types. Yes, the th uh, but in some ways it's already happened. Um, you know, it's at some point, you know, do you think Mitt Romney will actually uh, switch parties? <laughs> it's a good like question, that. right? I mean, he or doesn't have the base form. of support in the Republican Party. Yeah, well, anymore. he's not running for president again, so yeah. But the uh, so maybe he won't. Uh, but uh, I think that it's a Trumpist party now. Now, I don't that by 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 saying that I don't mean that that a member of Trump's family or or uh, some of these people who really discredited themselves in the last couple of weeks are going to be the nominee next time around. What I mean is. Uh, Trumpism did not start with Trump. It started with Nixon, or you can go back further than that. But it's it's basically this. It's it's what we were describing earlier, uh, uh, coming up with non-economic ways to speak to people's economic grievances. Mm. The culture wars are, are the preeminent example, but uh, racism helps out there too. And you know, there's others. They have all sorts of weapons in their, uh, you know, in their. Mixed metaphor here. Weapons in their arsenal. Arsenal, yes. Yeah, I was about to say toolbox. Yeah. <laughs> That's not where you keep your weapons. But, uh, but, but, but Trumpism is older than Trump, and it will outlast Trump. Trump just took it a few steps further, both in the his extreme demagoguery, uh, you know, and his, the vulgar language, and the, uh, and that, and then also the that that the uh, the what he really what the very interesting thing that he brought to the table was the uh, genuine economic uh, hints of economic populism, yeah. especially trade, around the trade, trade agreements, issues, yeah. Yeah. which then he did very very little Nothing, to yeah. advance. Right. Uh, I mean, you, those those towns that were suffering, they're still suffering. Yeah. Those people that were screwed, they're still screwed. I mean, the only thing he did really to help those people out, he didn't do, which is he had a booming economy. And you started to see wage growth before COVID. Right. And now that's all gone. And then so. Yeah, that's all yeah. gone. So. <laughs> yeah. He only he only has thirty percent left, though. That's the interesting part. Oh, this, well, this last move. This was a disaster for him. Disaster. Right. So he probably he probably can't run in twenty twenty four now, right? I mean, you think he'd run? No, I don't. I was more worried about uh, one of his kids running, mm. or, they or don't, I don't think they have his ability, his talent. I really do think he's talented in a very specific way. I think he knows how to read a crowd, and rile them up. Are you? Uh, I'm always he fascinates me because on me the too. one hand yeah. he's such a he's so stupid you know and he's, and yet his, he has a I'll tell you gifts. his trick his trick is he's punchy when he talks 
It's very quick, abbreviated sentences. It lands, it lands, it lands, it lands. And it's a way of speaking where anybody could sort because he was made fun of for talking at like a sixth grade or fifth grade level or whatever it was. I remember reading yeah. articles about that. No, that's not when I say he's stupid. What I mean is that like, like he couldn't figure out to be a leader during COVID. Yeah, he's, right. he's a dumbass. I agree with that. And, and, and it, you know, he goes around insulting huge parts of the electorate. Remember? I, yes. Calling Mexicans, what, rapists and murderers? Right. Yeah. What? Right. Yeah. What kind of politician does that? Saying it's right. only old people who die of COVID. Generally oh old God. people. Don't or, worry about or, it. Or, uh, <laughs> or, okay. uh, or, or making fun of, making fun of handicapped people. Do you remember I that? I do remember that. With that the, one, the that one blew my yeah. mind. Yeah. Like who, what politician does that? But you know, you the, to, the best thing about him is what you were saying about Rose. This goes back to your point about Roosevelt. Is yeah. all the best thing about him is the people that hate him. Like that is actually the be- appeal of Trumpism. Is like all of these people yep. that I fucking yep. despise I hate, hate this hate. guy, and now yeah. I love him. Yep. I mean, that's that's. The and whole by the way, thing. Democrats can't figure this out. No. Have you ever looked up what people actually think of Hollywood? That, right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Democrats exactly. think like, They're like let's if, get if, you yeah. if you go to their conventions, <laughs> they bring these people out one after another. It's like everybody loves a Hollywood star, uh, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, no. I do. I do think there's truth to that narrative of like. There's a lot of political correctness, and so whoever stands up and says, I don't agree with the political correctness, people are like, I'm with this person. You know what yeah. I mean? And that's yeah. a simplistic narrative, and it's, it's brought up way too much to just to cover everything. But there is an element of truth in that, and I yeah. think that explains that's a lot right. of Trump's appeal. Yeah. Uh, his, yeah. the, the vulgarity. The, you know, I, th- I have a different theory, which is that, is that he's, he is a good – he's an excellent performer. And so he was going – he was out there giving speeches in whatever, 2015, 2016, and when he would get a reaction – from the audience, he would, you know, put a mental check yep. mark and yes. repeat that. That's right. And then yep. finally, that would become like the trade agreements. If you go back and look at his speeches, he—that was his main theme. That's his main theme. By the end, in the right states too, yeah. where he was campaigning. And it's like, well, how did that happen? You know? Yeah. Because he was, audiences would roar when he talked about that, yep. and so he figured out that needs to be my thing, and uh, uh, just trial and error, some kind yeah. of. Yeah. Chomsky made a good point. He said that. What Trump does that's a that's genuinely skillful is he knows how to sort of appease the people who are lower income and make up his base while also simultaneously appeasing the corporate interests that helped fund his campaign yeah. and that he served with the tax cuts and the deregulation. And that's not an easy uh, thing to that's, do. That's because George W. Bush also, you know, that's Ronald Reagan. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. That's all that's, that's all of the them. Move. That's Newt Gingrich. That is the trick to being a Republican. Yeah. Is, is remember remember I always the George Bush Senior is the one that always makes me laugh because he was such an aristocrat. Zero so charisma. Yeah. 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 But he went around the country in nineteen eighty eight eating pork rinds. Oh my conspicuously God. eating pork rinds <laughs> and hanging around with country singers and uh, touring flag factories. Do you remember Remember this? Yes. Well, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Oh and then the Democrats give him this perfect opponent. You know, Michael Dukakis is like, it's not about ideology; it's about competence. Uh, you know? uh, <laughs> and I'm the greatest technocrat that the world uh, has ever seen. John well, Kerry versus W. Same thing. The same, same thing. Same thing. We always fall. We always walk right into we the can't trap. Help always. It. Not we. The Democratic right. Party. Yeah, the Democrats. Well, always walks right into the trap. So if Hillary Clinton, same deal. If I mean, elites are now wholesale abandoning 
the Republican Party, at least making a big show of it. And I do think that it's going to be harder for fundraising. It's going to be harder for those who want to go and go back to the country club or get their corporate deal after they're out of office. I think that life is going to be harder for them in their, you know, prospective career path and what they were planning to do. So if you have continued elite consolidations you've been talking about in the Democratic Party, does that mean that you ultimately do have more and more working class people, um, white, brown and black, drifting over to the Republican Party like we saw this time around? Well, look, this was uh, something that I wrote in um, years ago in What's the Matter with Kansas, that this kind of phony populism, this appeal to uh, class grievances without talking about economics, that this is powerful. Uh, especially in the absence of anything else, especially if the Democrats aren't giving you the real deal, um, which they aren't, that this will eventually migrate. I mean, by that time, it had already gone from there used to be a, 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 a I guess you'd say a demographic group um, before, you know, back in the 70s, they were called the term of art back then was the white ethnics. Mm. And they were they had been a part of the Roosevelt coalition, the New Deal coalition. And in the 1970s, they shifted to the Republican Party. And this is this basically is what I was thinking when I when when I wrote this is that basically eventually this will happen. What you just described will eventually happen, that this kind of these kind of culture war appeals will eventually uh, spill over into groups other than the what we now call the white working class. And you will see other groups being roped in. Now, I did not think that it would happen while Trump was the leader of the Republican Party because he's such an asshole. Right. Uh, he's such a bigot. Right. I didn't think that it would happen, but I knew I thought it would happen eventually. But it was my great surprise. Then the election just concluded. Well, you saw the Latino voters in Texas and Florida all over the country shifting dramatically to the Republican Party. That's really interesting. If that continues, uh, that's going to um, that's going to change the map. And now, where the, do you think that does come from? Oh, I'm sure it's I, look, I don't know. I haven't been to those places. Mm -hmm. It's covid time. I haven't interviewed anybody and I don't do that sort of thing anymore. I read it might have been the checks. Remember when they sent out the first round of stimulus checks and I had Trump's name on it? And they were, and, and that worked? Well, that's Latino just, voters that's, that's would get the just, check and it'd say Donald J. Trump on it. Yeah, and you now go, just imagine okay. if he'd actually been a real leader during during COVID. It, you know, that might have been, look, that's just re simple retail politics there. You know, Exactly, yeah. He just did the right thing, yeah, <laughs> you know, right. for once. Mm -hmm. But look, there's no reason why it wouldn't eventually happen. And this is the, this is the the fallacy. And remind me, I want to talk about the group that's going the other way, that's okay. going to the Democratic Party, because these are the people that I grew up amongst. But this is the fa the great fallacy of the Democratic Party strategy. And you know what the strategy is? They call it the coalition of the ascendant, meaning um, you know all of these different d demographic groups that are growing in numbers rather than shrinking, and they're becoming democratic. And so the Democratic Party says. Look, we don't have to do anything. We got it in the bag. We're eventually, if we wait long enough, we'll be unstoppable. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to do anything. We don't have to serve anybody. We don't have to, you know, uh, do anything for anybody except for, of course, the professional elite who they love and adore and will do no end of favors oh, for. Yeah. But we don't have to do anything for these for these groups that are coming our way. 
Except say we're not racist. Yeah, well, call the other side names. Yeah. Right, yeah. But uh, we're not bigots. Vote yeah. for us. Yeah. And that's, you know, that, that that's that, it's, that's kind of true. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, it's that's true. better than it's the just, other people's pitch, which yeah. is yeah. we are racist. But, 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 but the, idea, an the idea of not actually, not actually delivering <laughs> yes. anything to these it's people. An and by the way, this is a subject that is coming up more and more and more. Do you remember, uh, uh, well, in this last election, and you saw this rant from Ice Cube, you know, the rapper. Yes. Did you mm-hmm. see that? Was I thought great. that was awesome. It was awesome, yeah. But he making this point. He's like, well, what have you done for us? Yeah. What do you what are you actually give me something other than beating Trump? You know, come on. What what else you got? Mm -hmm. Which is a totally normal question. You're you know, but the Democratic plan is literally to take people for granted. Remember the sort of unofficial motto of Clintonism in the 90s? Where have they got to go? Yep. Where else are they going to go? You got no other choice. Yep. Yep. And the the and so what the the that's the Democratic strategy. What it leaves out, because these guys are really bad at chess. What it leaves out is what's the other player going to do? <laughs> you know, he's not just going to sit there and let this happen to him. Right. Yeah. He's going to come up with something. Right. We don't know what, but Trump just showed you what it is. Right. Yeah. Which is reach out to the white working class who are already on their way into the Republican Party, but accelerate that. You know, the what's the matter with Kansas phenomenon. You know, push that along, and uh, and 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 next it'll be it'll be other groups. Of course it will. There's no question about it. But they are going. They're dynamic. They're going to be reaching out. They're going to be doing everything they can to make sure that this doesn't happen. Right. I, I feel like the good news might be though that Trump may have taken it a bridge too far into like conspiracy territory, where it's like well, now he's, he's the other now. the other aspects of the message are totally overshadowed by what just happened. You know what I mean? Like the economic stuff. He like he, I think his in his 2020 run he wasn't anywhere near as economically popular sounding as he was in 2016. That's, that's right. But can I just uh, throw throw something out there like a digression? Hasn't it been a relief for the last week to realize this guy's done? Yes. Yeah. I saw 29% yeah. approval rating right before we came in here. That's what I saw. And I was like, I knew it. So he's going so out like Bush. Like, uh, he's going out like Bush. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. fantastic. I know. It's That's Bush time. territory. Yeah. I mean, he may. I mean, he he had it all in hand. If yep. he just kept. Oh, first he's of all, so bad at the game, though. If I he'd think. even been remotely of a leader in COVID, yep. like you said, reelected, no problem running against Biden, who was, you know, a let's just say less than ideal candidate. Barely alive. So could have <laughs> yeah. easily gotten reelected and then even after he got after he lost if he just kept his mouth shut he had his post presidency it could have made tons of money (laughs) could have played the will he or won't he game for four years but no he had to now he's got no friends now (laughs) no friends he may have to declare bankruptcy this guy may end up in prison he's all gone because he encouraged a little riot (laughs) (laughs) when all the corporate interests are like sorry man we're done we know you cut our taxes we know you deregulated but we can't do it he's like oh shucks you know, what else are you going to do for me? It looks like nothing, so see, see you later. Yeah. yeah. All he had to do was not do this, and he would have been fine. I mean, but we, he did this. We were <laughs> what both, a doofus. We were both yeah. chuckling about how the thing that he was most upset about was the PGA yes. pulling the championship. <laughs> he was most but upset actually, about that. it's kind of real because, like, when the elites are officially pulling yes. their support, and you're screwed without that. He's totally yep. screwed without yep. that. Do you yep. think he's going to well, go to jail with the New York? Oh, uh, come on. I don't know. I don't, I'm not a lawyer. I don't do any, I don't do any of that sort of thing. <laughs> But I, just wait, uh, just to go back to his his folly as a politician. Yeah. And so in the one sense, like we said earlier, he did have he was able to beat Hillary Clinton in 2016 when she 
outraised him by two to one and had the best advisors in the world, had, you know, everything going for her. And he managed to beat her. And it's it's it is amazing. And he also beat Jeb Bush and he beat all those other guys. It's it is amazing. Yeah. But you look at this last campaign. The Democrats choose Joe Biden during the great year of Black Lives Matter. And Trump can't figure out how to like it's like, wait a minute. You just chose the guy who's responsible for like destroying the lives of one of your your probably your single most important, you know, demographic group of demographic support. And and, and, and Trump can't figure out how to like turn that against him. Right. It gets better because Trump would contradict himself instantly when he would campaign. Yeah. In the same sentence, because he would attack him for being too hard on crime with the crime bill. But then he would immediately attack him as too soft on crime. You got to pick one. But that's very Republican to say contradictory things in the same sentence. I kind of admire that. He'd be like, he funded the police too much, but he's going to defund the police. Wait, he couldn't make the sale. The thing yeah. is that because he doesn't understand it. He, yeah. doesn't, he doesn't have any problem with the crime bill of 94. So yeah. he couldn't figure out why someone might be against that. And he couldn't put himself, couldn't show empathy, couldn't understand that. And I'm, I'm sitting there saying, oh, my God, this is, you know, this is Biden is totally exposed on this. Yes. Totally. Totally. And, uh, and, and, you know, uh, the, the dude can't figure out how to, how to drive it home. So we got lucky. You know? he's, yeah. he's half alive and he won. I mean, the fact, like, listen, COVID really was nice. the thing. We're all thinking nice things about Joe Biden right now. <laughs> COVID was it's the thing. It's going to be great like, to have a real president. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm he, very excited. He just oh, needed to say the whole of America, Shut up, Thomas. Mr. Frank. I, need to, <laughs> I, I don't want to go down the Obama hole that I went down in 08 where I was like, I was, I was all full of hope. We all, yeah, we all were to some extent. Yeah. But uh, Biden just needed to stay home and shut up and then Trump self-destructed. That's it. Yep. That's all. Yep. That was the whole thing. That and COVID. And you go, oh, my God, let's go with the guy who didn't fuck this up royally. Yeah. That was, that's the idea. That was it. I, I heard that, was that the Kyle. Whole... The FCC heard that. The Attorney <laughs> General heard that. They're, they're, you know. Okay, so oh, now here's my here's the second here's the other side of the coin. So I grew up in the sort of white flight suburbs of Kansas City. They're they're in they're not in Missouri. They're in Kansas. It's called Johnson County, Kansas. Uh, I was not. We were not a wealthy family, but we grew up around some of the richest people in America, you know, that lived in that in that area. Very, very affluent part of the city, part of the state. This is the ruling class of Kansas City. This is the ruling class of the state of Kansas. They run the place. Okay. And when I was a kid, well, I wrote What's the Matter with Kansas largely about these people. These were the most Republican people in the world. These people had voted for every Republican to come down the pike since like Taft, right? The only one, so Woodrow Wilson was uh, was the last time Johnson County went for a Democrat, and then it was rural. It wasn't part of the city then. But th- these were extremely Republican people, of course. That's what Republicans were right the ruling class they own the place right. right and they have their country clubs and that's about it right this area by the way is called the country club district oh geez, that's too perfect <laughs> i'm not kidding that's too perfect <laughs> i know anyhow biden took it for the first time since woodrow wilson a democrat won this area and i went back i got i went into the data the other day and in the neighborhood that i grew up in the, the ruling class of the city the ruling class of the state uh, biden won every precinct every single one in that little part of Johnson County. And it just, it blows my mind. And this is, and you, everywhere you went in, in my neighborhood where these, I went out there for election day, of course, right? Mm-hmm. The annual ritual. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, everywhere you went were these, you know, Black Lives Matter signs and those yard signs saying respect science, science and wow. you know, all, all of this stuff. And um, 
And uh, uh, it's incredible. And this is the ruling class changing sides. We are seeing it before our eyes. And it is absolutely fascinating. I mean, the, the, the most Republican people in America. And now it's like, you know, the working class people in Wichita. That's who votes for Trump. There's right. more of them. Uh, Trump still won the state because there's more of them. And then right. the farmers, of course, right. yeah. there's more of them than there are of. But it's a complete inversion of the way things have always been. So like Kansas went for Roosevelt, you know, Kansas went for Lyndon Johnson. Johnson County didn't. My area didn't. They went for Goldwater. They went for, you know, wow. Landon or whoever the hell it was. Right. You know? But the rest of Kansas. But now it's completely flipped. All those people, the sweating, toiling masses of the state went for Trump and the, the owners yeah. went, went for Biden. It's absolutely mind-boggling. Anyhow, this is the future. This is where we're going. So, and this will be my final question for you, then I'll turn it over to Crystal. But um, how, what's the best way to get workers' interests back into the mainstream of American politics? Is it through some third-party route? Or, or is it through unions getting more involved? Is it through some sort of general strike? Like, what's your view on that? Uh, it's, <laughs> I just, I sound like my own, I sounded like my own father when I made that noise. I'm like mine too, mine too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. I hate old. It absolutely sucks. Um, I think, uh, look, one of the things that, that needs to happen, it's, it's a catch-22 situation because the obvious answer is unions. You need to, uh, you know, you want to trigger a kind of 1930s scenario, uh, let people form unions again in this country. And most of your viewers probably don't know this story, but one of the reasons that the Democratic Party is so weakened and is changing before our eyes is that unions have been... Um, they're no longer I mean when I was a kid that's what the Democratic Party was it right. was the party of organized labor everybody knew this it was obvious uh, and today it's they aren't and unions are very very weak uh, you know they're down to what less than what it's like 7% of the private sector something yeah, like that six or and that's because of the way that the laws in this country are enforced it's basically you know you try to organize a union in the workplace boss fires you that's it and that's against the law but the law is toothless and so uh, employers have figured out that it's extremely easy to get rid of unions to prevent people from starting new ones and as a result they are no longer an important you know force in American life and with the, the results that we talked about before uh, you know inequal extreme inequality you know the rise of this culture war right you know all of these terrible things are a result of that ultimately uh, how do you change that it's easy you, ch you change the law you put teeth in the law you enforce the law and, and people can can start forming unions again and they will change the face of this country they will bring about economic uh, more economic equality by themselves and also through politics they'll do all the things that uh, that 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 would be healthful and you know it's a good it would be a good thing unfortunately for that to happen uh, uh, people in Washington have to let it happen right we yeah. have to they have to pass legislation they have to start enforcing the law etc so that has to happen first and the question is will they do it? And it was on the table when Obama was elected. Card yeah. check, right? Yep. And Obama was like, sorry, you know. He did like a perfunctory, eh, I tried. Yeah, I, I, oh, sorry. I did my best. See you later, mm -hmm. guys. Yeah. And that's that. And it was, and they, they, the unions have tried uh, with each 
Democratic president as soon as they're elected. So Bill Clinton, they tried something similar. Jimmy Carter, they tried something similar right at the beginning of the administration. And each time they were rebuffed, not just by Republicans for whom they are the mortal foe, but by Democrats mm. who refuse to lift a finger for them because the Democratic Party doesn't believe in that anymore. So you've got a, it's a very, very tricky situation. It's a kind of catch-22, but yeah. I think that's the obvious answer. If you were able to get them up and um, up and running again and became they became a force, uh, it would completely change the complexion of this society. Do you think that there's reason to be hopeful there with Biden? Because he is this, I mean, I think he genuinely sees himself as like working class Joe in spite of all of his, or middle class last Joe, I guess, yeah. in spite of all of his the famous terrible euphemism. track record. Yeah. And he came up during a time in politics when unions were still the Democratic Party and having to be comfortable in the union hall and speak that language and understand at least that side of politics. Yeah. You know, I don't want to I don't want to force you to be hopeful. But is there any reason <laughs> to believe maybe he would have more sympathy to that direction of the country than Obama did ultimately? Uh, I think so. I hope so. But I don't know. Look, a lot of unions really thought he was their guy. And then, you know, this is the face off between him and Bernie. Right. And uh, both of them were very pro-labor. Mm. Bernie actually has the track record. Yes. Right. Uh, Biden's track record is not as good. But uh, uh, there are union leaders who really think he is going to go to bat for them. Now, we're all going to find out. Um, I, I don't know the answer to whether yeah. whether he will or not, but there are there are there are certainly a lot of people who think he's going to, and exactly what you just described, middle class Joe, all that stuff. I am not hopeful about it because if you watch their convention, they almost never talked about it. There was I mean, no labor. So I'm, yeah. Again, I'm I'm older than you guys. I've watched a lot of conventions in my time, and uh, they the Democrats. It wasn't just labor. It was that term that you used earlier, middle class. They used to love this term. And you, they open up the Democratic Convention, and they immediately start talking about it. You know, we are the party of the middle class. We're about building the middle class. We're blah, 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 on and on and on. And this goes way back. And they always did this up until very recently here. If you watch their convention this year, they never said it. Mm -hmm. Or if they did, I missed it. it was, they never talked about it. They yeah. were that what they wanted you to know was that they were the party of diversity. Mm. And that they hit they drove that home in this really unmistakable way. The, the Black they, Lives Matter blocks behind Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> Trump even tried to do that. There was a very diversity. Yeah, it was a big did. thing Wait, with the Republicans. You, yeah, of course, yeah. right. He mm -hmm. had all those NFL players and yes. stuff like that. But then you, um, you, uh, uh, you go to the Republican convention, and the very first speaker, right out of the gate, is like, "We are the party of the working class." Yeah, or something mm. like. I mean, they, they had just, nurses they, so, speak. They had workers, and yes, yeah, and it's all, and it's all, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but it's all bullshit. Yeah, of course. course. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah. they said it. Yeah, and they, it, they get, they get, they get some kind of prize for that. Do you know, and you can do people, yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, when at least they're saying it, I guess, is if, from right, the yeah. public perspe perspective, from the public perception, at least they're saying the words working class and middle class. I mean, I guess, where do you think that things go from here? Like, how do you think the Republican Party cracks up? Do you think that elites sort of form, break off from that in a sort of rump group and maybe form their own third party? Do you think Trumpism totally takes over the Republican Party? Do you think Democrats just continue down the neoliberal path? What do you see in the trends in okay, terms of two, the direction two, we're heading two in? Two possible scenarios. Uh, one, Biden succeeds as president. And Biden... Biden basically cures COVID, and Biden gets the economy roaring again, and Biden is a is a hero, and uh, and the, it inaugurates a new uh, uh, era of democratic 
party dominance. Okay, that's the that's the rosy scenario. Okay, color me but skeptical. Let's, let's, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now let's talk about what what will probably happen yeah. is that Biden will be Biden will trip up over his own reservations, Republican obstruction, of course, but also he he'll be unable to overcome forces in his own party, or he doesn't want to. It'll be like Obama. Obama did, did, a lot of things Obama could have done that he didn't do. It's because he didn't want to. Right. Right. And uh, Obama, and let's say Biden is 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 basically the same the same way. And so he delivers half measures in all things. Uh, it's another Obama term. Nothing happens. You remember in 2014, just nothing. Mm. Yeah. Did nothing. It was absolutely maddening. And uh, and and that goes on. And yes, the Repu- and the business interests go back or like big, the big the business interests that were are aligned with the Republican Party go back to the Republican Party. So big oil. Uh, who else do they have? Big coal. Yeah. <laughs> Well, well, Shelton Adelson just died. He's an industry under himself. They've got that the MyPillow CEO. The what? MyPillow guy, yeah. 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 Big job creator, that pillow man. (laughs) I was going to say the the casino industry, but it's actually just that one guy. Yeah. Yeah. Shelton Adelson. And uh, so, but let's say that business goes, makes its way back, that that, that Trump, once Trump is out of the picture, they mend their fences, they come back into the Republican Party, and you get a kind of Ted Cruz figure or Mark. Marco Rubio figure who combines this, the Trumpist uh, culture war stuff. By the way, they understand what we were talking about earlier, that you run against the media. Right. That, mm. that is that is the sweet spot. Uh, they get that. Right. And yeah. so you but but they're also smart. These are intelligent guys. Um, they know how to be a politician. They know you don't go around insulting like the biggest demographic groups in America. You don't go down your list of American yeah. ethnic groups insulting them. Well, they know you don't. You don't do that. You so you know you, you 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 flatter them. You know you do that. Anyhow, you get somebody like that who's competent, who's running, and say Biden has got very very little done. Uh, yeah, you're going to have a fight on your hands. And l- look, if we don't, if nothing happens. And we don't start reversing inequality and we don't start like what I was describing in upstate New York or in out in Kansas or in Missouri, small town, Missouri, anywhere that I've gone in the last couple of years. And you just see these once vibrant, you know, productive parts of America turned into a wasteland. If we don't start reversing that. We're in huge trouble in this country, yeah. not just because those people are suffering and those people's lives suck. You know, I, it, that's terrible. But if the only alternative presented to them is a, the party of professional elites who worship globalization and the Internet or this, you know, culture war <laughs> assholes, you know, who just, who, who just want to speak to your bitterness and your frustration, uh, we're in huge trouble. Yeah. Uh, and I strongly suspect that is the way we're going because ultimately I'm kind of a pessimist and I uh, I think that's where we're headed. Uh, but let's hope, let's hope that Biden hits a home run. Yeah, all the indications. From your lips to God's ears, sir. No, the, the 78-year-old steps up to the plate. <laughs> and, and becomes a totally different politician than he's been yeah. his entire career. Yeah, yeah. It could you happen. You never know. It could happen. He's just trying to survive, literally. You never know. <laughs> that's, in that's theory, theory, it's possible. Um, the book is fantastic. The people come... Mama, no, the N-O. Um, yeah. It's phenomenal. Everyone the people? Should just- 
No. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And That's also, I also just want to say, what's the matter with Kansas? Everybody should buy that book as well. And everybody should buy Listen, Listen Liberal. Liberal. Uh, these are uh, wonderful books. Uh, what's the matter with Kansas was one of the first political books I read. And so, you know, there's a special place for you in my heart. You helped my oh, political you, evolution. So. Wait, I have one, one last short question, which is what were the books? Like for us, I think both your books have been incredibly formative. What were a book or a couple books that were really formative for you? Oh, well, there's a, uh, well, let's talk about authors. I mean, I, I read, so I read people from long ago. That's my, mm, okay. you know, so I read those populist books and stuff from the 1890s. But of contemporary people, I mean, he's, he's gone now. There was a historian called Christopher Lash that I really admired. And this is a guy, he got a lot of things wrong. He was often, you know, m making big mistakes. But in the big picture stuff, he could see what nobody else could. Mm. And he's, we didn't get into this, the, the sort of academic part of the people. It's not academic. It's very interesting. It but is it's very ab interesting. about professional books. history and how the, the historical discipline has changed. And the sort of the big bad guy in my current book is a man called Richard Hofstadter, who was the greatest American historian of the 50s. Christopher Lash was his, not student, his protege, mm. and sort of picked up where Hofstadter left off and then realized, it's like, wait a second, you know, he got everything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and Lash wrote these wonder, this wonderful book about Clintonism. It was one of the first times, it was, he was one of the first people on the left to turn against Clinton huh. and to develop a whole theory of Clinton. It was called Revolt of the Elites. Mm. All right. And uh, yeah, he's he was sort of my hero when I was younger. Yeah. Him, Studs Terkel, a bunch of other guys. Oh, Studs Terkel's amazing. I love Studs Terkel. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. So great to have you. We really this appreciate it. This was a blast. It. This was yeah, fun. We enjoyed it. Thank you, you guys, you guys drained me. I'm I'm like, now I'm gonna go <laughs> faint. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. We, we enjoyed it, so thank you. <laughs> you are welcome. Um, so that was fascinating. And, you know, the thing that was funny to watch him wrestle with is he like he wants to be an optimist. So he puts out there, look at where young people are. Look at the Sanders movement. Look at what's been accomplished. I was out there all on my own with these left wing ideas. Now they're really mainstream. and They're really popular. But on the other hand, he had a hard time avoiding the pessimism of the moment, which is that you've had this massive cascading series of elite failures. You have every trend that brought us to this horrific place only accelerated over the past year. And you have the part, the supposed party of the people that has now all every brand of elites in the country has consolidated behind and into the supposed party of the people. So it's a troubling place to be. It is. Um, so let me ask you, would you say you're a long term pessimist or an optimist? I think if you're going to engage in politics, you have to be an optimist. Like really, I do. I I mean, I just otherwise it's like why why do this? Why think about it every day? Why talk about it every mm. day? Why why do any of the like organizational work that you've done and that I've done if you don't actually believe that things can get better? So in that way, I am an optimist, but I have to admit that looking at the facts of the matter that as they exist right in front of us, I find it hard to make the case for that optimism. Yeah, so, I mean, my take on it is I just fully embrace the agnostic label. Like, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, you know? Like, in some ways, yes, I could give you what are educated guesses, and I could tell you what is probable, what's likely, um, and just follow the evidence and wherever it leads it leads but there is something about like just talking about that that almost helps cement that coming to fruition 
So I'm not, I don't want to like partake in making the worst things so. Mm, you know what I manifesting mean? Manifesting like the yeah. worst. I don't want to manifest it. Potential outcomes. Yeah. And I just want to like acknowledge the fact that we do have the ability to adjust course. Like, you know, and we do. Like, you know, Thomas Frank was saying, the Bernie movement is reason to be excited, reason to have hope. You know, there has been a decline, obviously, post the loss, and there's a million reasons for the loss that we could get into. But, like, yes, the energy is there, and it is more defined than it's ever been previously. Yeah. Like, there is sort of, like, an amalgamation of issues that make up the core of that movement, and it's expressed in a way that even when you go back to the Obama era, early on in the Obama era, 2008, for him, it was a lot more, like, vague and flowery. Whereas with Bernie, it's like, universal health care, Medicare for all. And, like, he'll give you the actual policy Simple, answers. Simple, straightforward, direct. So it's in the yeah. ether. It's in the ether. And, yes, the evidence points us more in a pessimistic direction. But I'm too hesitant to just call myself a pessimist, I guess, now. Because if you embrace that agnosticism, you're always leaving the wiggle room to then manifest the positive stuff to happen. You know what I mean? So here's two concrete reasons to feel some optimism, if you so choose. One, I think that the introduction of direct cash aid has been of mm, profound importance huge. because we've had decades of anti-government rhetoric and politics where, you know, the scariest nine words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. That has been the reigning dominant ethos in both parties. And so when you have that in the ether day in and day out, and those are the politics, then people stop believing in the possibility of federal government doing anything. And if you watched over the course of this year, there was a lot of good reason to not have any faith in the ability of federal government to do anything. But with those checks, you know, they showed up in people's accounts. They were real. They were tangible. They had a measurable positive impact that you can see anecdotally and also through a lot of studies. They really had a measurable profound impact on people's lives. And that's an that's an opening, right? That means that people actually recognize like, oh, they could do something to better my life. They just haven't wanted to. And I think that realization is extraordinarily profound. It's incredibly powerful. Obviously, the support for checks is remarkably bipartisan. I was actually talking to Andrew Yang recently, and I asked him about when he first started his presidential campaign, it was like no one even knew what UBI was. Right, like, yeah. not only was mm -hmm. it not popular, people didn't even know what it was. I was against it previously, so if you and think I had to be moved on it. If you think about the profound change, now it has like 80% support right. for a one-time payment. It's like 60-some percent support for a recurring payment. That's a, a tremendous potential and good, and I think a change in the way people think. And the other thing that I think is really important is that Trump's going to be gone. And he has so destroyed politics in so many ways because he's made the possibility of change within the Democratic Party completely impossible because they can always just, there's there's no cause for self-reflection. Everything's the fault of Trump. You can't, you can't even criticize us even a little bit because we're not Trump. Like, you don't want, if you criticize us, you must love fascists, you must love Trump. So he's destroyed any possibility of reform or change within the Democratic Party. And um, he's also destroyed any possibility of solidarity within working class people because he himself is such a polarizing issue that you can't possibly get past. So I do think that the elimination of him from the political scene, and I do think that he's done, is, um, is a profoundly important thing. Yeah, uh, and I would say to add to your, you know, reasons for optimism here, all all you really need is a spark. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm a believer in that in the I sense agree. that all you need is the right moment and the right 
person or people or group and the right argument and like yeah then it could be a snowball effect and you're off to the races like when if you think of like fdr when he rose to power it's like everybody was totally fucked and then here comes this guy and then they do the new deal and it's like he just unfucked everything you know what i mean yeah and so there's always that potential especially at a moment like we have now with COVID, where I always butcher this saying, but it's something like necessity is the mother, mother of, of invention, invention or something yeah. like that, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, when when we have a pandemic, when we have nearly 400,000 deaths, when we have effectively an economic depression, you know, it's at times like this where you get, okay, now all of a sudden UBI is, in the, is, is on the table and in the right. conversation, whereas previously it was unheard of to have that in the conversation. So I do, I am optimistic in that sense. And I am optimistic in the sense that, you know, I learned a lot from David Dayen's articles about what, what capabilities the president has just through executive orders. Yeah. And so there's always like, in my mind, that escape hatch of like, well, if we just get the presidency somehow, then you can have a president eliminate student loan debt, legalize marijuana, expand Medicare so that everybody's covered because there's a provision under Obamacare that says for emergencies, you can expand mm-hmm. m- Medicare coverage to everybody. You could do that under under the guise of COVID. And by basically. The, Bernie's looking at doing that, by the way, Re- reportedly. We'll see. Right. We'll reserve judgment on whether or not something like mm-hmm. that actually happens. But bottom line is, yes, the the argument of all, all you need is a spark. All you need is a certain moment. And then all of a sudden you could go from the depths of despair to like oh my God, we're actually doing something positive. So maybe that is reason for optimism, but I still want to hold on to the agnostic label because it makes me edgy and cool. <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. what really matters here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, look, the, the profound, con- Thomas Frank makes many profound contributions to this conversation, but the one he really, really gets and focuses on is what a danger it is when you have all the elites in the supposed part of the party of the people and what that ultimately means going forward. That's true. And, um, one more thing I want to remind everybody one more time, okay? Yes. This is the last show that they're going to get for free of Crystal Kyle and Friends, the last video that they're going to get for free of Crystal Kyle and Friends on the Secular Talk YouTube channel. Um, so if you want to keep getting the video and getting it Friday night as opposed to Saturday night where you'll get the audio, um, then go to Substack, $5 a month, and it's $5 tip per month, and then you end up getting the video and you get it a day early. And uh, for everybody else, if you want to – Hang on and watch the audio on Saturday. We still love you. I don't think they're going to be able to watch the well, audio. Well, listen but... to the audio. Yeah. You had to do that, didn't you? You just had to <laughs> poke at my mess-ups, didn't you? Couldn't you love it, this. Sorry. Okay. Well, anyway, so that's everybody's, uh, you know, last chance effort to keep getting yeah. the video and, and getting it a day early. And you guys know you don't want to miss the video of the one and only Senator Nina Turner. Yeah, that's going to be week. great. So, so. Um, yeah, good day. Thanks for watching, guys. We'll see you next time.